0: Hey, Pete. Hey, Aaron. Let's get ready to start Trek.
1: (laughs) What's the name of the show? It's a a pun.
0: I would not have logged on if I did not intend on starting Trek. (laughs) Great. Uh, Yeah. Hey, Pete. Hello. We're in our March start track Next Generation
1: catch-up. We, we're normally where we love to watch. Normally we do movies around themes and blah, 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 blah. And then we've done sidecasts. And after seven years of doing this podcast, we're like, hey, instead of trying to fit in something we're excited about doing, why don't we just do it for a month? There's actually no – Peter – I may have had this misconception on my own. It may be because you've lied to me many times when I think you were trying to get your own way, but there's no governing body in our podcast. We can technically do whatever we want. As I understand it based on reading a lot of documentation down at Town Hall.
0: Yeah, yeah. You've you've gotten into the microfiche. You've gotten into the macrofiche, because your eyesight's not so good. Yeah. I do turn 40. <laughs> a couple months. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm really looking at that super macro fish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you basically wallpaper it all over your bedroom. You've actually set up a home microfiche theater in your basement. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: 3D, IMAX, the whole thing. <laughs> tore, out, tore out our garage for it. I go through it one
0: line at a time. I'm like, oh, someone died in this house. <laughs> you're really extending the part of the movie that no one likes to your entire life. Well, you know, I'm a slow reader on top of not being able to see, apparently. Um, yeah. yeah. You're, you're like uh, the, the song uh, Slow Ride by Foghat. Yeah. Uh, I'm exactly like that.
1: That That's fun. You slow Ride? Yeah. Take it easy. <laughs> fun fact about that song. That song came out when I was 30. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh anyways, yeah, so we're we we have a sidecast that we started a few years ago called Star Trek, because I have been a lifelong fan of Star Trek, and we're really gonna get at the meat of my fandom in this episode. And Peter is just some guy who ignored it, didn't know how to get into it, didn't really want to get into it, and I didn't find that out till years into our friendship, and I said, Oh my god, you need to watch all this because I think you would like a lot of it and thankfully that has been the case you've liked most of you but you were actually i think uh, even though I it doesn't take too much to get me revved up about Star Trek you were the one who's like let's skip trying to sneak in Star Trek let's do a month because I'm excited to get to more next generation and kind of wrap up for the most part some of the the high points there so Mm -hmm. we last last week to catch you up we finished the run of next generation movies so we're done with the movies for a little bit until we dip into the Abrams movies. But as we've said many times on the show and as Star Trek fans know, the Star Trek gener- uh, Next Generation movies is not where that series sings. Uh, I think the TOS movies are, are are actually, the even though there's a lot of great episodes, the best representation of uh, the Star Trek, the original series, Next Generation, you're not going to find the best stuff in in the movies. It comes from the show. So... We, Peter has watched a lot of very good Next Generation episodes. We did an eight-episode intro that covered a few episodes that are generally considered some of the best, including Measure of a Man, Darmuk, and Yesterday's Enterprise. Some of those I have affection for. Some I think are, very, I, are good and I respect them. Uh, We did the Best of Both Worlds and the whole Borg arc for the most part, Next Generation, which especially the Best of Both Worlds are some of my favorite episodes. Uh, And then we've watched a few really good ones as we've kind of gone through – as we've gone through the movies. But I tried to save a lot of my absolute favorites for this idea that Peter had was – which was after we were done with Next Generation movies, Aaron, show me some of your favorite episodes. So I picked 12 episodes, technically 13 because one's a two-parter. Uh, in addition to the finale of The Next Generation, and that I want to show Peter as representations of, like, episodes that I've watched 10-15 times each at a minimum, and are episodes that made me fall in love with Star Trek, and I still love quite a lot to this day. And I still had to Peter already has made a lot of sarcastic comments about how many episodes he has to watch. There is many that I excluded that were tough choices that I'm going to try to fit in later on, but it's just number per episode. Yeah, right? I, I get it. Yeah, but I, I still felt like we we hit here on the. Uh, I felt comfortable pairing it down twelve. When I was going through the list and saying, "Here's the stuff we covered. Here's the stuff I really am excited for Peter to see." Um, th- this seemed like the right the right fit. So. We, we are kind of doing them in season order. Uh, we did a lot of seasons three through five as part of the other uh, the other episodes that Peter watched. So essentially I picked six episodes from seasons three through five that are my favorites. And then I picked six from seasons six through seven, which we really haven't touched on at all. And then, of course, we'll end this month with uh, an episode entirely devoted to kind of wrapping up Next Generation more formally and the series finale, which is one of the best episodes they've ever done. Um what those six episodes are in the order we'll be covering them are Deja Q, uh, Sarek, uh, Remember Me, Cause and Effect, Next Phase, and The Inner Light. And even within those, Sarek is an episode I like quite a bit. It's also setting up a different episode we're going to do later. It felt like it was important to get it in in kind of a organic way. And then Remember Me is a quasi-sequel to a first season episode that's like, no, oh, it's okay for a first season, but I'm like, this, I rewatched I'm like, does Peter need to watch this to understand? So I was still, I feel like, making a lot of tough choices. At the highest level, before we go episode by episode, Peter, what did you think of these episodes as a group?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty conflicted on Star Trek because while I think it's fantastic television, the performances are outstanding, uh, the uh, ability to maintain interesting character dynamics across... Hundreds of episodes yeah. um, across a multiple timelines to keep coming up with original stories within that context, but can still sort of reset a status quo very often or push a status quo forward is all very interesting. But fundamentally, I have a one qualm with it, which is that any show about space travel is a lie um, yeah. because it's, um, it's counter to my beliefs that uh, no human being can transcend the dome of heaven. Um, and that the earth is completely flat and that the firmament does not allow for us to leave the surface of the planet, Mm -hmm. um, and the like beyond the dome of heaven uh, God, God God does not place alien races that you can have conversations with uh, yeah uh, instead he 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 uh, he mostly just has uh, um, one of those chairs from the sharper image yeah which is really big big really chairs, big yeah I, big.
1: I think you know we talked about the time for this episode the big mistake that I did was I I knew you were converting to Mormonism the Church of Jesus Christ of latter-day Saints and I really should have like scheduled These episodes before that, because that happened in between the last episode we recorded and this one. And I feel like it's definitely affecting your perspective like a tiny bit. Now, eagle-eared listeners may catch it. I think general listeners won't catch the change in ideas here. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I've known you for a long time, so I'm just noting a little bit of an askew perspective on the concept of space travel. But I, I don't think it needs to interfere necessarily
0: yeah yeah it shouldn't be a distraction. I don't think this week when we're talking about a space show uh that I return to my belief set, um which is that space is a uh, liberal lie,
1: yeah, is that why you sent me all these weird links about like uh bapt future baptizing John Luke Picard uh, <laughs> to claim him for Mormonism' Cause he's a like, yeah, this is a sh- television show, and even though you're right, it is set. 300 years in the future, I know that Mormons love to baptize people just at random, dead people, mm-hmm. contemporary people that didn't ask for it. Again,
0: and, and Frank, Anne Frank, specifically. Anne Frank is a
1: great example. Um, uh, but I, I think, and again, I know you're new to the faith, mm-hmm. but I, I'm pretty sure that like A, well, this part I'm definitely sure of, that Next Generation is not a... Accurate depiction a la Galaxy Quest aliens thinking of like what's gonna happen in the year like twenty three sixty-five. Yeah. And that I think even the Mormon Church draws the line at baptizing fictional future characters.
0: I think. Yeah, so the the deal is that we can baptize Patrick Stewart. Okay. Yes. However, he needs to die first. Okay. Ronald D. Is May that why you're also be back.
1: Is that why you're going on one of your famous missions? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh yeah, to boldly dig up corpses that have never been dug up before. Or to take care of a few of those guys that are just not dying. <laughs> like, yeah, they're just not. Like
1: we have the baptism cero- ceremony already.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're I mean, actually it's frankly rude of him to not die. Yeah. And um,
1: and I get it, because of that way what you're saying is like all potential whether they come to fruition or not, all potential future iterations of the Patrick Stewart actor, mm. which could be a Professor X uh, in an alternate universe, a C- Captain Picard in another one, the guy from Life Force in another one, those are all still ultimately claimed by the Mormon in uh, the Mormon Church. And what I would call uh, is a very religious version of uh, calling dibs, I believe.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a dibs yeah. sitch. Um, it's a shotgun sitch, a dip sitch, which other one you're more familiar with.
1: I think as Mormons, um, we're much more familiar with shotgun, in the, especially in the late 19th century. Yeah. yeah.
0: I just want to really quickly note that recently we have named random specific actors, mm-hmm. and then they've died between when we edit it and then when the episode comes yeah. out. This, um, is, this is coming out in is a recently month. Recently, we named... We were the only people to mention Kirstie Alley in the entire year of 2022, and then she died. Yeah. So, uh, honestly, if
1: that happens here, hopefully Mm -hmm. it happens with us to have enough time to edit it out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's...
0: So that we don't feel... So, yeah, if you could
1: hold on just a little bit, and then,
0: because if not, we can always tag on something else. But anyways... uh, Yeah. Uh, Well, one interesting thing before we move on about the Patrick Stewart thing is that, uh, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. he will die... And because he has not accepted Mormonism, um, he will go to hell. He'll be aggressively forced Uh, to. Yeah. yeah. But between then and um, when he can be baptized and then ascended to the the, um, celestial kingdom, um, we need to wait for – do you know who Gritty is? Uh, Yes, I am familiar with uh, Gritty. Are you guys trying
1: to get him too?
0: Yeah, so I need to wait for Gritty to die because he has a higher ticket number. Oh, um, so uh, if if when Gritty dies, we can pretty much I don't we can get it done right away,
1: Peter. And... Again, I I don't know how to tell you this. Gritty is while very charismatic and really can get the crowd going. He mm. I imagine if the current I don't know if you want <laughs> the word is actor Mascotter mm. who plays Gritty dies. I think they'll just get a new... It'll be seamless. I don't mm. think anyone is going to notice there's a new Gritty. I mean, I, if you think of...
0: Mass- Sorry, so I don't understand what you mean by actor. Are you saying I, that Well, gritty, I don't know if actors are- Gritty, the massive bird creature. Do you think that Gritty... Is he a bird? Is- I, <laughs> I, I thought he was
1: gritty, like a relative of like Grimace who didn't
0: shave. Yeah. 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 Uh, a, 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 grim- <laughs> a a Grimace class yeah. Uh, cryptid. Yeah. Um, do you think that uh, Gritty um, is doing some sort of performance as a fan of, of Philadelphia sports? I mean, I think he,
1: I think his passion for Philadelphia sports is genuine. How could it not be? Uh, but what well, I'm saying is, like, that. do you remember a time? Like, think of a mascot from, like, who's the mascot from a team that you like? Like, Cheryl Bulls. Probably a Bull. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, like... There was the Timberwolf for the Minnesota Timberwolves, like, I forget his name, like Crunch, I think was his name. He sometimes came to schools. Now, I imagine, he came to my school. They unleashed a wolf they in school They did, he, but he did mostly dunks and only maimed a couple kids at lunchtime. Um, what an honor, though, really. Yeah. I mean, it was a new team to Minnesota after the Lakers left um, in the 90s. Uh, we got Christian Lehner. Uh, But anyways, so Crunch... He visited my school in like let's say ninety two, ninety three, my elementary school. Yeah. I have to imagine that that Crunch, if he is still alive, is not crunching no more. And my guess is there's a new Crunch, and I don't remember an announcement that said old Crunch not crunching no more. Uh, he's digging up posies mostly. And uh, and there's a new crunch in town, so I'm saying I could expect that no matter how long you wait for gritty, I think you're going to end up in the same situation where no one's going to say gritty died because they're just going to get
0: a new guy. Yeah, but it's like Gritty Junior. It's the it's the son or or, or, or child or daughter. I mean, I think Gritty uh, Junior is a great concept um, <laughs> that really they should potentially introduce. <laughs> just son of Gritty. I
1: mean, that just seems like yeah, son of Gritty. I mean a little yeah. kid in and that thing' bride of gritty a, like a little wild animal a little kid in that thing I think that's marketing gold but again I don't think that's quite how it's gonna
0: work but we'll talk we know all I'm saying is that God does not lie- allow anything to live forever even his only son Jesus Christ so uh I don't know why gritty would I do be think exactly I do from that? I do think gritty
1: will at okay. will not make okay. it through the heat death of the universe <laughs> I'm saying it might not be in your lifetime <laughs> necessarily, the Gritty will die or the Mormon Church's lifetime, if I'm being honest. but uh, Anyways, so yeah, so I picked some Star Trek episodes, and um, these are... The thing about my Star Trek fandom, and we talked about this in one of the first episodes, so I'll be brief about it, is that uh, (laughs) I don't know how to phrase this, but I'm not sounding like the oldest man on Earth. Uh, We'd have Netflix. We'd have ways to just watch an episode. And so... We didn't have that Netflix. We didn't have DVR that was unlimited. I had to go buy, you know, blank VHS tapes, look at literal TV guides or like – and figure out what episodes were airing when in syndication because at this point, even though I saw some of it when it was on the air, uh, it went off the air in 1984 and it was after that that I really became kind of obsessed with it and then like decide based on reading a synopsis uh, from – various books I had that detailed each Star Trek Next Generation episode like uh, Star Trek Compendium or Star Trek Chronology, if that was an episode, I would take my time to record. So there is a little bit like in my favorite episodes, there is a little bit of confirmation bias. I would read the description and go, oh, Q's in that one. Oh, Sarek's in that one. Oh, it's a time loop episode. Like, and you what you probably guessed is like, a lot of my favorite Star Trek episodes are the, like, fantastical science fiction stuff. Like, time travel, time loops. Like, that was one of, at the time, my biggest appeal to Star Trek. And there later on, I got more invested in character development and, and some of that stuff. But, like, I liked the space battles. I liked the time travel. I liked all that stuff. And those were also the episodes that I made sure to record and, and would end up watching over and over again. So... Um, You probably noticed that like a little bit watching these episodes, although there's a couple exceptions to that that I loved even from the moment I first saw them and they are usually considered some of the best. But like I definitely had an affinity for the science fiction episodes more than like the like Beverly falls in love with uh, a ghost or something. (laughs) That's a a famously derided episode. But like, you know, even the episodes that are generally well regarded, like uh, a woman falls in love with Data – yeah, and, and you know, and he has to kind of navigate through a relationship without emotions, and like that's a, considered a good episode. I like it, but as a kid, I wasn't like, oh, I, this is one of my favorites, or like the episode where Picard falls in love with someone who's under his command, and like reckoning with like. You know uh, how you send people to the planet, like that stuff wasn't things at the time that I had affinity for, compared to like, holy shit, the Enterprise keeps exploding and they need to figure out the mystery. And so, like, that's definitely reflected a lot in what I would consider my favorites. But I still think that this this week and next week when we go through the next six uh, have a good cross section of like some favorites that even rewatching. And I told you this last week and through text even rewatching i was like god these are good goddamn episodes like i love this fucking show the show is so so good uh so we'll go through each episode individually what were you struck by in general by these episodes or the ones i chose uh what were your Did you, like, oh, I understand why Aaron loves this one, or Aaron loved this one, or what was your, like, general takeaway from this set of Star Trek episodes?
0: Did you you happen to notice that every single one of the episodes was, like, a form of, uh, about, it's a story about bodies betraying you? (laughs) Uh, is every, well... Definitely the first two. Let's go, go through. Deja Q is about is is about yeah. uh, Q being forced to have a mortal body and all of the, yeah. the the limitations that come with. That's the, just the one, the, one of, of the, the best Q episodes. But go on, and it's it's a comedic yeah. approach to what the later episodes would be more frustrating. Yeah. Sark is essentially a pretty tragic story about dementia, yeah. and um, it's also it culminates in Sark sharing his body with Picard, um, not in a in a nice way. Sharing his, uh, his way. feelings. Yeah, sharing his feelings with, with Picard. Um, and sort of Picard having to almost live in another man's skin for, for a few moments as he experiences yep. all the repressed, bottled up pain that this man has been... Yeah, emotions, you know. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember me... Is about the fallacy of memory yeah. and how yeah. and, and and how um, we not only do we have you know these rational impulses that tell us do this do this do this do this do this but if we just listen to those rational impulses over and over and over again could we get ourselves stuck in some sort of infinite loop of uh, mistakes? Yeah. So it's about how your memory and your instincts and are. just
1: a general concern of the death and loss of all around you. <laughs>
0: yes yes um and then sorry
1: cause and effect doesn't quite the the groundhog day episode doesn't quite uh i think meet that
0: yeah yeah i mean it it kind of does yeah. because it's about it's it, it is about how um similar to the last one is it's kind of about how like you're um or kind of creatures of, of, of habit. Yeah, how do you – yeah. They were creatures of habit and well, that those habits may be driving us to commit commit, uh, you know, mistakes over and over and over again. Yeah, um,
1: that's a great point. We'll, we'll get to that further. Even though in the 90s all sci-fi shows were legally required to do a Groundhog Day episode, I do like yeah. this one's approach of like them realizing very quickly that that's happening and kind of almost stubbornly refusing to even second guess their base instincts knowing that – theoretically that led to explosions um which
0: yeah I- yeah and the the next phase is a ghost story yeah. but it's about the frustrations of not just like the afterlife and not being ready, re- being ready to get rid of your body but um the frustrations of being able to in it, in unable to communicate with people the way you want to communicate with them yeah um so it's almost a story about disability and the yeah. afterlife yeah um inner light is obviously it's a story about when it's I mean, in a way it also feels like it's a story about some sort of uh delusion, um, right? Whereas your memory is is failing you, your memory is leading you to believe that one reality is real versus one reality is fake. Um, and not being able to trust the reality in front of you, but you have to live in the body that you have and make decisions with the body you have regardless.
1: Yeah. And so I do think that's right. That was an unintentional theme, but I also think that speaks to like, you know, one thing the next generation did more of than the original series is it leaned less heavily on heavy-handed Twilight Zone metaphors, which you and I discussed, we like a lot, and more use their sci-fi concepts to approach, like, a little more nuance. And that's because the characters, especially by, you know, season three, four, and five, had become more well-drawn and more nuanced. Like, say what you will about T.O.S., and I love T.O.S., the character of Kirk is the same in the first episode of the original series as he is the same in the last episode of the original series. Now, there's evolution that starts occurring in the movies focused on aging yeah, and stuff like that. Definitely. But that doesn't really have like, you know, even characters like Sulu or Scotty or like they have almost no character development whatsoever in um in TOS and have like if Hopefully, the movie gave them a good scene to play off their character. And the thing about The, the Next Generation, which I've said repeatedly that I don't think – hopefully, you're starting to see it in this selection of episodes. You're going to see it more in, in the next set, too, is that The Next Generation really viewed itself as an ensemble sto- show that gave individual characters their – like, the leads of their show. So, like, Remember Me and Cause and Effect are very much – Beverly Crusher centric episodes, even if the entire cast has things to do. The next phase is Geordie and Rolaren you know, themed episodes. Um, uh, Sarek and and Deja Q, well, Deja Q is a data episode, and and like the way they would take these characters, you did they did evolve, they did change, they didn't it wasn't serialized storytelling in the way that later Star Trek series would become in the same way. There was reoccurrences in a general continuity that would be remembered but the characters themselves evolved they got more friendly towards each other patrick stewart who was kind of you know barking at Riker, you mentioned like when we watched the pilot and they kind of had almost a mildly antagonistic relationship in the first couple seasons give way more and more to a general sense of friendship and camaraderie and like you know there's these great scenes in these episodes where, like, someone like a Beverly Crusher goes to Picard saying, you need to believe me even though what I'm saying is crazy and Picard being like, of course. Like, I don't have any reason to doubt, you know, in a very, like, soft, fatherly friendship teacher, you know, whatever way that, like, really spoke to the evolution of, of all of these characters in a way that just didn't happen in the, in the previous series. So... It makes sense that a lot of their sci fi concepts are really about their individual character's dynamic fear of aging, fear of seeing your children growing up, fear of, you know, a common theme that you've already hit on with uh, Picard is like fear of not his decision to. Second-guessing himself whether his decision to pursue his career and not have a family will like that's a common theme we've revisited in the episode "Family" and Star Trek Generations and like that idea of like yes I am happy with my choice to to focus on my career and be a captain but should I have made time for children should I have done that stuff and like so these like character beats keep coming up in a way that I think then connect to. Connect better with kind of like this, the sci-fi theming in a way that's not like, hey, this planet, what if racism is wrong? And again, yeah, they have those episodes, but the sci-fi concepts are more about the characters. And of course, a natural thing for characters, especially characters this age, are that idea of like aging, your body failing you. And stuff like that. So, it's interesting. I, I actually didn't even pick up on that as like a consistent theme through the episodes. And, and part of that is just because I'm so close to these episodes. I see them as like, you know, the episode. But I think you're 100% right. And that just kind of also speaks to how much better the next generation was at wrapping their sci-fi concepts into those types of themes.
0: Yeah, you're really right. And I, I, to jump back a little bit, um, I, would, I would boldly <laughs> propose – that Kirk undergoes essentially one character shift in the entire saga and it require it does require as you said the movies to to um to do that um Kirk spends the in all the movies basically the story that we keep coming back to is he's like Let's say goodbye. Let's retire. And then yeah. he's just back the next time. Let's say goodbye. Let's retire. And they keep doing that, that to the to the point where it's like, I'm not even taking that theme seriously anymore. I'm just watching this as an episode of the show expanded out and, and blown up with the budget with Picard. I feel like thus far, um, I can um, track character development that the character is subtly making ch- changes as it goes. Um, however, in order for me to make peace with that, I kind of have to ignore most of the movies because the movies are just either the character backtracking or the character just running off in some weird direction that doesn't fit with anything. Right. Yeah. Um, so if I ignore most of the movies, uh, Picard has a pretty clear arc about um, learning learning lessons about how data works as a person and in, in trying to encourage data to be a like the way that he treats the yeah. crew says more about his character because the way he treats the crew changes over time the way that he um, the way that he treats uh, Wharf and data in particular the way that he uh, takes on Riker's um, uh, like march through his career yeah. And like what Riker wants out of his career, and, stuff, yeah. and Picard trying to embrace like, like you know, trying to beat Riker into being a different person than he is, and then eventually embracing him for his strengths and and his weaknesses, the way that he's embraced himself, and then eventually he's like, he and Riker line up. You you mostly sense the Picard changes as you watch the show uh, in how he treats his crew differently and how he 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 changes as a leader, um, which I think is is interesting because like. Kirk was pretty consistent. Um, it's just that over time he got a little bit goofier and more light of hand. Yeah, um, he, tr-
1: he tried harder to save some really shitty scripts in the third season, and like that's really where you turn into like Shatner acting.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And that sort of um, him trying to just glue over the mistakes of a lot of these movies yeah. does lead to you just being like, "What? What is Kirk? <laughs> what does Kirk want? Yeah. Who is he?" Like, um, but. The point is that basically, like, Picard, I can see, like, I can also see, like, I, though apparently the reviews are not very good for the show. I can see why the show Picard would be interesting, like, um, like the the concept of just coming back and being like the show is focused on him. Everybody else is camo- cami- cameoing in his story because, like the whole show is about him trying to help other people go on character arcs, and all of these characters get to go on character arcs. Worf has his, Data has his, Riker has his, like, everybody kind of gets theirs. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I I also think, like, I I, I mentioned this when we watched it, but it was also probably hard, because you hadn't seen enough, that like, essentially, Star Trek generations up until Picard is the, like, last time anyone's acts like their television show counterparts, right? Like if you want to think of like what is the – like all good things, the series finale is an amazing send-off of this cast. But I think like Generations and the destruction of the Enterprise, like Geordi acts like Geordi. Data acts like Data with an emotion trip chip. Picard acts like Picard and like it still feels like our characters. And I said to you like even though you liked First Contact a lot – and I, I loved it when it came out too – that really was at the time the beginning of the end of these people are no longer their analogs for the television show. They are movie action stars that resemble them less and less as the next two movies go on. And so, like one of the cha- like one of the challenges I think of showing the 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 way that we approach this, even though we did watch a ton of Next Generation episodes, is that you are all, you're kind of going back to the best, wherewith. The original series, you got a lot of the best very early on. And yeah, you do kind of have to be like, okay, the Picard I just watched in Nemesis is like – he's a non-canon nutball or whatever. But like, you know, mm-hmm. this is actually the character. All good things, which will end the series generations. That's that's kind of the end of his character arc. And yeah, Picard hasn't gotten good reviews. But I do feel like people say their relationships and the characters, they just are – The I think the biggest criticism of that show is it's kind of taking the – it's taking all of these characters and doing, you know, like a Walking Dead style or just general like serialized dark drama. And like, who wants to see that out of these guys? Like, everyone's sad, things are going bad. Like, you know, is that what you is that what you want to see out of a next generation television show?
0: And I get, I, it. I don't know, I, 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 I don't know either. I haven't seen, seen it seen either. Bad Trek shows yet. So yeah, so.
1: Let's let's start going through episode by episode, because there's a lot to dig into. Peter, are you ready to start going through six episodes of Star Trek? I don't know if we actually do the the switch here. I don't think we typically do, so let's get into the shows, Peter. So the first episode Deja Q Peter You only missed one episode in the Q saga At this point You saw him an encounter at Farpoint Judging humanity Then you missed an episode where he tries to turn Riker into a Q Then He shows up You find out he's been kicked out of the continuum For being an asshole <laughs> And he wants to join the Enterprise crew And the Enterprise crew says No way Jose And uh, Q's like you need me. Sends them halfway to the Delta car- Quadrant where they encounter the Borg for the first time. Borg fucks up their ship. Picard's still adamant that they'll figure it out together. They don't need Q and Q. Q leaves now. Q's back. Um, shows up on the ship. He's naked. Picard freaks out really quickly on the plot. You find out that. Not only has he been kicked out of the continuum for being an asshole, but he has been, all of his powers have been removed, and he was given a millisecond to decide where he wants to go, and what kind of species he wants to be for the rest of his life, his mortal life. And he chooses human and the Enterprise, and no one on the Enterprise believes him. Um, One of the fun parts about the show, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit, is that like this is, in a series where... Everyone is very optimistic and always treats people with respect. It's really fun to see everyone on the crew treat a character like he's a loathsome asshole because you just don't get to see them play that in this show, even when people are assholes. Um, And anyways, so they throw him in the brig. They don't believe him. But they're also trying to solve a problem that at first they think Q Q was the cause of where an asteroid is heading towards – A planet – or sorry, a moon is out of its orbit and will destroy this planet. And Q eventually convinces them, hey, um, I don't have my powers but I have all my intellect that I always had and I can actually help solve your problem. He suggests changing the gravitational constant of the universe to move the moon easily – um, and while they can't do that, they can. They they do try to change the gravitational constant of the moon to make it easier to use tractor beams and push it out of the way. However, there is a weird ethereal space uh, entity that shows up. Uh, And keeps trying to kill Q, which means the Enterprise has to keep their shields up, which means they can't help the planet. Q hates being human after kind of being humbled over and over by Guinan and other people on the ship while also developing a relationship with Data. As Data finds him curious that he's achieved, as he says, in disgrace, i.e. becoming human, what he has uh, strived his life to be, Um, he decides to sacrifice himself, um, make the Calamaran kill him in a shuttlecraft um so that the enterprise can save the moon and he can have some meaning to the end of his his life and also put himself out of his misery uh but uh q2 who he's referred to as although he's just q in this uh, another q uh, played by corbin Burnson shows up and says well i can't have you i'm the one that got you kicked out of the continuum and got rid of your powers. I can't go ahead and have you sacrificing yourself in a selfless act, having learned humility and care for other creatures. So we judge you. You get your powers back, but be nicer to everyone. Um, and he um, he saves the moon. And as a parting gift to Data for teaching him about what it means to be human, he gives Data a minute-long laugh. Um, and that's episode, that Peter... I think you were a little skeptical about Q earlier on. This was – so first of all, funny enough, this is the first episode at least that I remember ever seeing of Star Trek. I watched it when it first aired. My dad watched Star Trek every week and maybe I watched one earlier with him but I remember at the opening where Q shows up. My dad's like eyes lighting up and going like, Q, because he was a big fan and the, you know he, he's watching these things over years when maybe Q will show up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, this has always been maybe one of my favorite Q episodes because it's very funny. It shows a different side to the characters, but also really ends on this part where, like, Q, I think, uh, for, for a term that his character would hate, it humanizes him beyond just kind of a mad, crazy god. And, like, m- does does kind of get you this idea of he's a kind of a sad sack, depressed person who's ready to end his life, along with, again, a lot of very, I think, funny
0: moments. Peter, what was your take on this episode? Yeah. So <clears> – <throat> i i I don't remember how i reacted initially to like measure of a man uh and his like introduction but um counter at far point like pretty counter at far point pretty quickly i i loved that episode yeah um because uh it 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 really it's not really goofy q no he's actually doing um quite a bit of malice. Like, he's trying to see what information he can... He can show this crew that will break their soul and break their spirit. Yeah. Like, he's trying to figure out how... Like, what is the lever by which I can make humans um, turn into uh, their worst and most base uh, creatures? I got kind of annoyed when he became, like, a meme like, hey, I'm back kind of character. Um, Which is funny because me and the crew and Deja Q uh, are aligned. (laughs) Um, Where... He shows up, and I'm like, God damn it, it's a Q episode. And then, uh, not that the episode titles wouldn't give that away. Um, There's one called Q Who. Yeah, that was Uh, the last one, the board one.
1: Yeah. They Um, love Q puns. Yeah. There's True Q Uh, later on, which we won't be covering. Uh, Q PID, which we won't be covering. Yeah.
0: Um, Q Anonymous. (laughs) No, not. Q Anon would be a good one. Separate? For now it is. Okay. Different thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, um... He, uh... uh, uh he here as, like, a, go- a goofy side character when he gets introduced and everyone's just like, alright, shut the fuck up. Like, you go to the break. <laughs> you're got, probably fucking with today. us.
1: We're very busy. <laughs> We're not yeah. we have time
0: for this, really. If you're not gonna
1: help, shut the fuck up and go away.
0: And, like, that was actually, like, Picard's take since the beginning. Yeah. He's like, I really don't have time for this shit. Like, I... Like... You're not a um a a uh species with agency that's trying to enact political goals or a species that's trying to survive some sort of cataclysmic event yeah. or you know you are purely like a prankster and like a little loki figure like I don't per, I don't need <laughs> I, I don't need this shit right now um I don't need to be uh in your little Skinner box yeah. so um, but Deja Q is interesting because, like, obviously the power dynamic is reversed and the crew doesn't, like, enact revenge on him. The crew is like, all right, like, until you and your weird other Qs figure your shit out, can you just, like, get off? Yeah, you're, you're, d- you're a distraction.
1: Yeah, I do love the, like, I mean, everyone from Crusher just being an asshole, like, to him to, like, like when he's, like, pleading with Worf what he needs to do to prove that he's human and Worf's, like, die. <laughs> like you know like that level of antagonism is just like not present and it's it's very funny and it's of course also like data being the only one who kind of tries to figure out a connection not just cuz he's tasked with it again i think like the lines like there's just some fantastic lines in this episode um but i think the lines like you know you have achieved in disgrace what i have strived my entire life for like is like such a perfect look into data. But also he doesn't – he's not sad. He's not dejected because he doesn't – that's the thing is he doesn't have the emotions to – he he can recognize like um, intellectually the uh, the sad irony of what is, what is occurring in front of him but he doesn't have the emotions to feel any of it which is again part of the sad irony that he recognizes he's experiencing. Like he doesn't – he should feel sad about this and – part of the he doesn't feel sad about it and he is intellectually upset as if that's the right way to put it that he doesn't feel what he should be feeling about this
0: yeah yeah absolutely and um while we're here i think this is this is the episode that made me realize that like overall i vastly prefer data to spock yeah so spock is um i love leonard nimoy i love that performance and that voice like that just yeah. powerful voice but um in the episodes i watched i feel like i kind of scratched like the surface of what all right sorry i i got much deeper than the surface of of what <laughs> what what the Spock character is um and spock you know like uh is obviously a more consistent um like uh you know a, a second in command or, or or corollary or whatever you want to have Because obviously Riker is more of the leadership role And yeah. Data is like the Rational being that's trying to understand What humanity is yeah. um, But Spock got to Maintain most of his dignity Like he uh, Was gone for a lot of the silly stuff And he got to maintain his composure And, and d- didn't ultimately End up looking as goofy as, as William Shatner ever did right yeah. Or any other cast um, So uh, I get why a lot of people are like, oh, that's a terrible opinion. Um, but D- Data is someone who, like, I consistently, even when, because they've brought Data to such lows, like, <laughs> later movies on, in yeah. particular. Oh, when basically they Data, only like
1: in the inf- movies, I think. For like,
0: the- they have Data it, have an inflatable ass in one sequence, oh, yeah. like, brutal, and all the shit, all the shit that they make him do in Nemesis. No, I mean, that's fuck. why he was like, kill- please kill me. <laughs> yeah, please kill me. Um. I, I think – I just think Brent Spiner is just such a compelling – Such a good character, And um, it's it's such an obvious ploy when they do this, right? They're like – it's such an obvious theme whenever they have Brent Spiner spend a lot of time with a the character. They're like, oh, this is about what is humanity. Like, almost always. Yeah. Um, and And uh, Q is figuring out what humanity is uh, via via data, right? And it's interesting that data is the one that ends up either saddled with this duty or genuinely curious about this duty. Yeah, I do think it's a combination of
1: both. Like Picard does say like everyone's so annoyed and, or thinking emotion first. Picard recognizes that like data's a a person. I, I like that also the term where like, you know, data also is not like, again, because he's not saddled with emotion. He doesn't feel like, I need to protect this person. He, it's constantly like, you know, you know, he thinks like when he's complaining about Jordy, and he's like, you know, who does he think he is? He thinks he's in charge here and he's right. Like, you yeah. know, it, that's not meant as a burn. It's just data saying facts, but he he is doing his duty while still serving the the ship and everything else first in a way that, like, again, an emotional attachment or like a reverse Stockholm syndrome where I need to help this person would have would have potentially impacted that. It's also a great – like I love whenever Whoopi Goldberg shows up and this may be one of my favorite Guinan scenes in the whole series because – this was mentioned in Q-Who that they know each other and they have a rivalry that goes back and uh, her just kind of matter factly like – learning about the debate about whether he's human and then stabbing him with a fork in the hand for him to scream and say, seems human enough to me. And then she being the person that sees through even something that the rest of the crew didn't see through that, like, you're not here because you didn't know what else to say and figured that you liked Picard. You're here because you knew without your powers – there is a ton of species in the galaxy that are going to try to fucking kill you and you're trying to (laughs) trick the Enterprise to protect you. And, like, that is such a great, like, turn of, like, underlining, even in his most pathetic, he's still completely, like, scared and full of shit. And I, like... John DeLancey especially in the early performances of Q I think is rightfully really big. We talked about that like from his first like theatrical appearance in Encounter Far Farpoint. you're like feels a little big but you know that that scene
0: and some of that is from the original version of the character in the original series well not the original version of the character but the Oh yeah the thing. yeah, template, yeah. The,
1: the
0: the the template that they built yeah. from in the original it, it, where where um is it Tremaine? Trelane, Yeah. Yeah. Trelaine. Pretty cool. Um Trelane is uh ostentatious and huge and he's using his godhood to give himself a sort of yep. like sense of of grandeur and theatricality because he thinks that that's what humans will respect. Yeah. And Q is kind of following that, but then as, the, as you're, what you're pointing out is right. Like as the Well, the, even this the, episode he starts out really
1: big and joking around. I love that scene. I I think really changes the performance of Q from here on out. Um even when it's to serve goofy purposes, but that scene where he's like confessing to Data after he saved his life about what a shitty human he's been and like, you know, and he's like for what it's worth you you know even the uh, even though i don't view this as a compliment like you're you're a better human than i could ever be like that is such a good delivery and a humbling of that character like it's such a wonderful like turn from this big theatrical godlike villain that we've seen in a few episodes to this like literally pathetic man who is yeah. telling an android who was ready to you know save his life for him that he's a better human than he'll ever be? You also probably notice, Peter. I, I like as someone who didn't watch the show but has been probably been meme pilled um, that there's like three very famous memes that all come from this episode. The Picard putting his hand in his head is when Q first shows up on the mm-hmm. Enterprise. Data laughing is from here in the mariachi band. On the, I was going to say. You know,
0: the mariachi band with the cigars and everything. Yeah, very, this yeah. is a very heavy, like, meme episode, which
1: I'm sure, oh, I'm yeah. sure it's yeah. kind of funny to see, like, oh, this all came from this episode.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, to use a meme. Yeah. Um, it's like the Leonardo DiCaprio Once Upon a Time in Hollywood meme where he points at the TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. because I, <laughs> because I, um, or, or, alternatively to go back you know to a little bit further uh the captain america i understood that reference uh, meme um because uh when you see those it does have like a weird like lightning bolt effect in your head where you're like you're like it's almost like you're being nostalgic for something. That you never like did. it's a neighboring emotion to being nostalgic yeah. for something because you're it like it, like register. It fires off moto neurons that you weren't expecting to be fired off.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like remember when we watched Jeremiah Johnson, and I think you even said it was the first time you watched it since the meme, and it was like. It was very funny when it got to the point that I'd seen a thousand times, even though I hadn't seen it. (laughs) Even this time, too, it's like, you know, I didn't remember which episode the Patrick Stewart had in his hand was. And I probably haven't seen this episode in, like, 10, 15 years. So I was doing the same thing. I'm like, oh, it's from this episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and Yeah, the Jeremiah Johnson thing is also very funny to me because, like, it, it, like... It is the only time in history that anyone has ever confused Zach Galifianakis no. for what might be the hottest person to ever be in movies.
1: <laughs> well, hold on. I mean, he, what, he we do have a direct comparison with him and Paul Newman. and I think Paul Newman wins. But I guess we can have that debate some other time.
0: I'm, you know.
1: You're Team Redford. I bet. I, I,
0: you know, Paul Newman's close, yeah. but. You're a Sundance I, kid. I'm a butch. Eileen Redford. I'm a butch. Um, <laughs> I'm a butch. Eileen Redford. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh
1: anything else with this episode before we move on to the next one?
0: Uh no. Um, not not sick of Q. Um the perfor like you said, the performance really nails it. And that he doesn't do anything ostentatious and wild until he brings in a literal mariachi band is very funny. Yeah. And this that What, what do you that think that of really hold on, did what did you think is... of Corbin Burnson showing up? To Corbin Burnson <laughs> showing up, I was like I, I I the last thing I watched with him in it was Tales from the Hood, and yeah. I was like, is he gonna say the word? <laughs> <laughs> I like it's it's a big like I, it's, it's, it's a big it's, it's a big early '90s like you got your powers
1: like he's doing like yeah. some weird Christian Slater thing or maybe Christian Slater yeah, was doing I Kurt don't
0: associate so Corbin Burnson now with anything but yeah Tales from the Hood and being a huge racist in yeah. that movie and that's not fair to Corbin no, Burnson, maybe you should watch Psych in
1: Major League and some, but like the one thing I do the little minor thing I like in that performance is the way that Corbin Burnson keeps talking with his hands but also like his his he keeps remembering to like be like confused why his hands are moving around him, and I, I think it's just a it's a minor touch, but it's funny. Uh, this also begins a running gag, and again, I one of the fun things about a Q Light character is to call out some of the things like in a meta textual way about the Star Trek universe. This begins a running gag of how ugly all their clothing is that isn't uniforms. <laughs> like, yes. and it's true, their off duty like clothing color palette is terrible throughout the series, and it's funny that. I don't probably made the costume designers feel bad, but like that they have the cues comment on like how terrible the colors that they put them in are. It's just,
0: I'm sure yeah. I, this is something that I should have kept closer watch on, but I'm going to say right now from what I've seen yeah. fashion wise, Star Trek original series has the best, uh, costumes. Yeah. They're so cool. Um, then, uh, the TNG, shows costumes is a distant second there's some cool stuff like the jacket but it's not a whole lot yeah. uh then the tos movies costumes yeah i love that i love that red they, thing yeah and then the very bottom is the tng movies yeah. costumes well. <laughs> um, that became the um, costumes for everyone for a while um but there there I I do I do uh, like I watching the original series episode um that we watched last week uh I I was just struck by how fucking cool Picard looks in the original suit. Um Oh yeah. Especially in episodes where he's not like consciously pulling his shirt down every 2 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um It's called the Picard then, maneuver. Yes. <laughs> oh wait, I forget if
1: that's then, the Picard maneuver or the Patrick Stewart I forget what they called it, but yeah. Yeah.
0: And then when we get into Sarek uh, our next episode. The dress I uniform? How
1: the dress uniforms.
0: All all of the Romulan and Vulcan clothing mm-hmm. across the TNG is so fucking bad, and I didn't even call out last week when we did the um, the episode with the the Romulan the defector. Yeah. I didn't even call out the fact that the defector is wearing this like fucking awful popcorn. Uh, yeah, they. they this, I like... mean,
1: that's the Romulan uniform. It's like the weird shoulder pads. One thing though, like I will say this, like. And I think this was—it's funny because I, I, he's got a bike chain around his neck. Of, they, they all do. The the like one thing this this series does do a relatively good job of making fashion so unlike a trend in that it's just ugly and weirdly form fitting that it doesn't feel as mired to its era as some Mm sci-fi and why like so like you can watch that and go this is ugly but I also don't think what an 80s outfit or what a 90s outfit because it just it's like timeless ugly and that was kind of solidified for me something I never even considered I was reading about the creation of the original series because I'm going through I've been reading a few uh, Star Trek books um, and there's this whole section where they talked about like in the 60s when TOS was on that Every man had sideburns and there was a directive that if you wanted to guest star or star on Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, who also had big sideburns, was like, this is a fashion trend. If everyone watches this series in 10 or 20 years and everyone has big bushy sideburns and that's not part, it'll feel not mired, not, not related to the future. It'll feel like a product of the 60s. And so like there was a directive and like he would sick the makeup and hair people on like Spock. And – or Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner if their sideburns got too long and like there were people they had for guest stars that like I'm not shaving my sideburns in the 60s and then they weren't allowed to guest on the show. And it's like something that didn't really connect – even though having been growing up with this stuff, you realize, oh yeah, when I watch Star Trek, sometimes the sets and the fact that women are in mini skirts as opposed to pants and those stuff feel – but like I – I can still get lost in it as a vision in the future. I'm not distracted by people looking like Abbey Road era Beatles, like for no yeah. reason and stuff like that. And then a lot of times when you watch science fiction movies from that era, you it feels so much more dated because you're looking at fashion trends of, of the time. And like, I had a lot of respect for the fact that that was a very unpopular decision that is like... At a time when VHS doesn't exist and like reruns are still relatively new to be like, I want this to be timeless forever and I need to make sure that like I'm set – like it's very forward thinking on Roddenberry's uh, part and I do think that carries with the rest of the shows. Like they are – a lot of times their uniforms and their (laughs) colors are incredibly ugly but that you don't look at them and go, that feels like 80s fashion – or '90s fashion or '2000s fashion replicated in the 23rd century.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good touch point. I, I, and there's like moments in um, other episodes that we, we're going to talk about, notably Inner Light, where I'm like, that is a really cool um, pattern, or that's a it's really cool how like um, when Picard becomes Cayman, I really like some of the. Um, It's almost essentially like tie-dye, just very subtle uh, tie-dye, a coloration on his, like, tunic. Yeah. Um, Like, the pants look silly, especially when he's playing the little flute. Yeah. Um, But, like, the actual, like, shirt top or whatever, the blouse, um, whatever you call the top of a tunic, um, is... (laughs) is actually like fairly like it, it's like fairly interesting where I'm like it's it's tie-dye but like not in a way that looks like it's, it's from like, it's from product uh, of its time. It's not it's not provoking 90s uh, uh 90s uh, uh, uh nostalgia for the 60s. No. It's not um it's not even actually like what's interesting is it is like there's kind of a tie-dye year going right now. Um, and it's not provoking that either because like, it's even, if even though it's subtle because the shape of the shirt is not modern at all. Yeah. Like, it, so that's, still, yeah, that's the thing. It's ugly. It's weird. It also doesn't look like anything. Yeah, because I think I think the, the, the coloration looks really cool. Like, I really like the tie-dye, but, like, the shape of the shirt is just so strange and medieval that it's, like, that fashion trend never never came back, so they're safe. Yeah. That does not look like yeah. a early 90s trend.
1: And that was even something that the, the music, as you probably noticed in Next Gen, tries to do. They're like, hey, I assume that Bach and Beethoven and Mozart have, like, survived, and that's what people, like, listen to from a music standpoint when they're doing, like— you know, um, they're, you know, they're not like, well, hopefully the Beatles are still around or something like that. They, they really understand, like, to make this timeless, we need to, like, you know, Mozart, Shakespeare, those sort of things, are, they're going to be classics 300 years from now, likely as well. Whereas, who knows what the pop music of the last 50 years or 30 years, what, what's going to, what's going to stick around for that
0: Anyway. Yeah. And, you know, it's also, you know, perennial, never goes out of fashion, dementia. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so Sorek is the next episode. I did a little cheat with this one of them being I like that you. transition. Yeah, it's great. Uh and how would you know if it was going on style? Uh, th- <laughs> I did a little cheat with this one. I I do really love this episode. This was an episode where as soon as I found it existed, we talked about how Gene Roddenberry was like because of kind of his backseat role or in in name role In name only role that he started to have in the movies because after Star Trek, the motion picture, Paramount was like, no, we're going to have other people that do these movies. You're a creative consultant, but don't really get to consult or be creative on it. He was very adamant about – we talked about like making Next Generation's own own thing. They had to fight to use Romulans. They had to fight to reference previous stuff that had happened. Like even when DeForest Kelly as McCoy shows up in the pilot episode, like they, they he's like, you can't call him McCoy. Like people will get or they won't get. It. Like I don't want to have that connection. So like this was when – originally they tried to get Leonard Nimoy and he was too expensive and Roddenberry was also kind of opposed to it. So, like, the writers are like, okay, can we get Mark Leonard, who's a minor character? And then there was a big fight with Roddenberry about whether he could even reference Spock at any point, which Patrick Stewart eventually does. So, like, for me, as I'm going – so, like, the original The Next Generation, like, episodes, there were a few things that made me go, I need to record this thing to make sure I watch this. Time travel, big space fights, Borg stuff. But also, like, oh, awesome, a character from – some reference to the original series and like is cool. They don't do that that often. And so I was very adamant to, to watch this one. I don't, if I made a list of 25 favorite Star Trek, epi- next generation episodes, I know the theme is Aaron's favorite episodes. I don't know if this would be on it, even if I really like it, but I use this also because we're going to have to talk about kind of a sequel to this later on to set up Star Trek 2009. And it just made sense to slot in as part of the series. So I don't want to make it seem like I don't like this episode. I do quite a bit. I'd probably make my top 50.
0: Um, but it is... Which only is impressive considering how many fucking... Episodes 100, 178 <laughs> episodes of the show. Yeah. Uh, definitely make my top
1: 100, probably. Um, but, you know, re-watch, <laughs> rewatching it... Top 170 for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, rewatching it as an adult, like... I had a lot more appreciation of Patrick Stewart's performance, which I think is fantastic. I do think it has this great bridge or this idea of like Patrick Stewart who – or John Luke Picard who so many people on the show look up to having someone come aboard that he looks up to that the audience kind of probably looks up to as like a – as a legacy character with a lot of honor coming aboard only to see him kind of, you know, be this be a shadow of himself due to a rare disease that uh, makes it impossible for Vulcans to control their emotion after they reach the age of 200. And that's kind of the episode that Sarek is about to retire. He comes aboard. Everyone's like, oh, my God, the legendary Sarek is coming aboard. And he – all these weird incidents start happening around the Enterprise where people are getting angry or frustrated with each other. And they eventually realize that Sarek is accidentally causing that because he has a rare form of like, again, Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever. The analogy of of Vulcans who their most important thing is their idea that they can control emotions and appear emotionless. It's starting to kind of leak out and he's experiencing all these emotions. And because Vulcans have some level of telepathy through the Vulcan mind melds, him not being able to control 200 years of pent-up emotions is causing interactions with the, queue, with the crew in various ways. He has a helper who's actually been using his you know, Vulcan telepathy powers to keep it down, but it's gotten so out of control that he can't. And so – this is supposed to be a crowning achievement of peace with the species that Sarek has been working towards and a great bit of filmmaking. Patrick Stewart essentially comes forward and confronts him. Sarek has stuck, has struggles to come to, to come to grips with the truth that he is aging and he is, his body is failing him and his mind is failing him in ways that are, you know, in his mind, shameful and him trying to come to grips with that. And Patrick Stewart say, you know, Hey, if you mind meld with me, I can essentially, you can essentially cleanse yourself temporarily of all these pent-up emotions. Go make peace with the species, and then you can retire at the you know having this great achievement to crown a uh, a high achieving career and
0: giving a man one last piece of dignity yeah. for his and and, and get, securing his legacy so he can go off and um, step away as a diplomat that didn't fuck up a major piece yeah. of negotiation <laughs> yeah. uh, right before he he uh you know yeah and forced out or whatever
1: well, the, the kind of like genius part of this episode is that you don't actually see Sarek do the historic peace uh peace accords which would have been anticlimactic you also don't
0: see the aliens right
1: uh no and which which would, been, which would have been, which would have been anticlimactic, like him sitting down and then signing a piece of paper and people going like, dub, 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 uh, you know, whatever else, like would have been somewhat antic in the weird environment that they have be been
0: like alone, look the people. <laughs>
1: yeah, def- I mean, <laughs> he definitely was going to have a uh, peace it with was, the judge. It was
0: Binks with the Gungans, him. right? I mean, that would have been historic. You can't deny yeah. that that would have been historic. He sat down with uh, senator Binks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: I mean, she was a senator. Um, but that instead, you essentially see what's almost an unbroken shot of Patrick Stewart cycling through 200 years worth of pent up emotions. Uh, his happiness is sad, his regrets, you know, and he kind of goes through stuff like, uh, you know, how proud he was of Spock, how he misses his first wife that we see in the, the first movies, Amanda, and that he just. And feels, she's
0: a human, right? She was a she human, so she didn't live. Her. Yeah. Normal human age plus forty or whatever. Yeah, which
1: is why they ended up like replacing her just from a timeline consistency standpoint, and then but expressing incredible regret at how much he's loved them, but has never been able to express that affection in a way because you know, and and uh, amazing Patrick Stewart performance, and then yeah, at the end, essentially he goes off, and yeah, he might not live that long. They
0: note this yeah. will probably be the last time we see him.
1: Spoiler: It's and not. Patrick it's not her. the last time they see him. Yeah.
0: We we meet him next, and he's just an unhinged dude who's just like I, I discovered yoga. I have so many feelings. He's basically
1: like in the next episode. He's basically like meeting Hunter S. Thompson at any point.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. So what you uh, do I got? In it this scream therapy. It's been pretty good. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, um, Patrick. Uh, first off, the Patrick Stewart performance is. Uh, during that sequence, I don't really have any anything to talk about in the first thirty minutes of this episode. Yeah, um, it's a little cor- I, it's a little corny. The whole like um, his rage is leaking
1: out on me, and now Jordy's fighting with Wesley about whether there's a date.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like seeing a, a fist fight at 10 forward very much reminded me of the slime thing from Ghostbusters too. Yeah. So yeah, I
1: I, I I have that in my. I have that in my notes. That this is essentially the plot of the the feelings slide for Ghostbusters. 2. Yeah, Ghostbusters two. The, the,
0: the mystery about whether or not like is the alien race like trying to sabotage negotiations by like yeah. poisoning everybody. Like all the mystery about why this is happening isn't that interesting to me? But I do like the um, I do like the the analogy here um, this di- this dementia analogy for a couple reasons. Yeah. Now, first off, Patrick Stewart's performance is lovely. Yeah. I I it's it's very nice to see him do cuz you see him do this in other movies but like honest but his most famous performances you don't get to see him do this no. very much, which is a raw performance where he's genuinely like just trying to channel feelings. He's not actually worried about his timing or his his diction, he's worried about like just Kind of like trembling and like getting through. Yeah, like, th- this is very this much. Thought, oh, I, I. Yeah, I was
1: about to say this is like. Oh, he's doing the one man show that he got rave reviews for type stuff.
0: This is yeah exactly. L- I mean literally this is the theater, theater days a, thing. Yeah. It, this is not exactly. This is the theater days thing. This is not something that he's done as Professor X, and it's not something that I've seen him do as Picard. No, like his most famous roles, he doesn't generally do this. Um, and it's it's fantastic to because obviously he can do this. Like obviously Picard, the part of the reason he likes doing picard is because like it's a it's steady work and he gets to work with actors he likes but also it's not um treading the boards for an exhausting period of time right like there's there's a reason actors like these kind of tv shows yeah um secondly um the sark thing as like a metaphor for dementia and feelings over over uh kind of coming out um i'm like kind of i guess uh blessed that i had one of my grandparents died before i I met her um my grammy um my granddad died at 72 which is kind of a shame like i didn't get to you know spend as much time with him as i I would like but he died before i like he he did not have dementia or alzheimer's or anything he died of cancer um hey get uh get, get your colonoscopies everyone
1: yeah i mean you do sound blessed so far
0: yeah um, but I was blessed to not be touched by dementia and Alzheimer's in my yep. four grandparents. Um my grandmother also she died I think like seventy eight or something she did not did not experience that um and then my other grandfather, who's in his he's ninety six I think now, no sign of it right now literally all all he has is like you have to sit really fucking close when you're talking to him because his his hearing is gone. <laughs> Um, but he's, he can recall stories, he seems to be there, he can have a conversation, he can tell you if he doesn't want to do something or if he does want to do something, like, he's there. Um, but with my wife, um, her, when her grandfather died, Mm -hmm. um, when Molly's grandfather died, um, her grandmother, um, kind of just emotionally, like, just was processing, like, all the pain of her life. She had a really fucking hard life. Yeah. Like. Abuse at a young age and then just a tough life, like raising a lot of kids, um, working class family, not a super happy marriage. Um, But um, she when the father died, she started to show signs of dementia pretty quickly. Mm. And some of that stuff might have been buried by by the grandfather just sort of taking over certain roles and maybe it was just being masked and it was no longer being masked now. Um, it's hard to say. Um, however, um, the thing that would come out, and this is the stuff that like broke her her dad's heart and broke her heart and like broke the family's heart, is just like the amount of Midwestern Irish Catholic bullshit that she had just buried yeah. deep. Deep down and it just shoved into the bottle again and again and again and again, just like the amount of abuse that she had as a kid and like the way the ways that her her marriage, you know, troubled her and the way that like her life had just been like, like untreated depression for decades. Yeah. And um, just like, oh, I'm a homemaker. I just got to shut yeah. the fuck up to keep no. my lips tight and work good. And then every Christmas I'll see these members of the family and I just have to look happy enough so they don't ask questions. Like, And then as she had uh, ongoing dementia, this stuff would just spill out because she no longer had the controls to keep it in. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people have tragically had to go through this kind of experience And I saw, like, in Picard's performance as well as parts of of Sarek's performance where it's like, if you do repress these things forever and you don't, like, uh, take care of yourself, um, everybody experiences pain in their life. But if you don't do these things and you don't find healthy outlets for these things, like, sometimes at the end of your life, you're just going to be a fount of pain. (laughs) Um, And you're just going to experience, like, these these feelings uh, in, in a sort of... Um, uncontrolled, random staccato kind of way. Yeah, and it's 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 brutal. It's brutal. Right. Yeah, and I think that this this episode is like very like it was not my grandmother. Uh, she was a very lovely woman, but she was not my grandmother. And like, uh, but like, I got to sort of like see some of this stuff in person, and I. I was it it allowed me to connect to this, but also like realize like a lot of people probably have this experience where their grandparents were from. It's not just generational. It's also like cultural still like a lot of a lot of people are encouraged to just shut the fuck up and keep your feelings inside. And that's bad for you. It's toxic for the soul. Yeah, which uh,
1: is also why I think there's like, you know, there's so many news articles about like you know, millennials or Generation Z being, like, quicker to realize, like, oh, that was super fucked up that people taught us that or that my parents did that yeah. or stuff like that. But, yeah, I I I had a grandfather who had dementia. He didn't have – and again, this is, you know, privilege of being a white male. He didn't have that Sorry, It was more like the – almost like I just don't remember certain things or, like, I am sometimes just angry about something that happened 20 years ago that feels like it just happened to me or, like – You know those those sort of those sort of experiences but i also think like you know you mentioned that you like data more than spock and this is like a whole can of worms it's also why like i like if you get into the philosophy of data versus spock like i find data a more like i don't i don't feel like it's a complicated discussion into like who he is as a being or like you know who his species is right he's an android he was built a certain way he's striving he start he's trying to strive to be more than the sum of his parts that is a un. even though we're not robot man <laughs> that is a universal experience and something that like has a natural like that you know that person is 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 is, is, is striving towards something good whereas Vulcans like if you got into like where they come from originally was this idea of making someone alien and like, oh, they repress emotion. So it's all logic with them. But like, you know, as we know more about psychology and yes, technically Vulcans are a different species and I don't want to be a species by judging the culture. But yeah, probably like, you know, this episode makes a case for like, hey, Vulcans who just sit and say, have all these feelings and have decided they're better for not Uh, expressing feelings because that's the thing about Vulcans it's not that they don't have emotions they do they've just learned through tons of training that we see through various episodes like sometimes very abusive training learn to keep all their emotions bottled up inside and not let it affect them or even seep to the surface except like when they get horny and there's actually a season for getting horny because if not no one will mate because they don't have the, the, the emotions of like love and lust in the same way so like Yeah, it's – I mean Vulcans as a species have like – they've been a little bit idolized as these perfect creatures of logic. And I do think that as as our understanding of of the human mind and psychology has evolved, that there's been a lot more effort to kind of maybe deconstruct how healthy it is for any species to build their foundation on suppressing certain parts of them that they find undesirable and like punish those that – um, I mean, Sarek himself, I don't know if you remember this, was sort of punished and shunned for taking a human wife instead of a walk. Like, these aren't things to aspire to. And I, I, Sarek, I think, is the first episode that kind of, uh, not the last episode, but the first episode of the series that sort of starts to go, hey, maybe this is not a good way to live. And maybe not yeah. something to asp-
0: aspire to. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, um, it, it, it I I uh I like when these episodes sneak up on me. Where at first I'm like, I see this guy come back. I'm like, fucking, do we do we need to see this guy again? Like it's Spock's dad gets to come back. I mean, in like, fairness, you
1: are you are living in a world of everyone comes back and everything all the time. Yeah, uh, it was very exciting, and I assume in 1996, yeah. let alone 1990, 1990 when Sarek is on an episode of the Next Generation. <laughs>
0: It, it, yeah 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 i mean um like that that <clears throat> it's also like you we've talked about x-files and, and such at this period and how frustrating x-files could be as a fan not just because like an a monster of the week episode might be paltry but because like they would completely like throw away things that you had invested time yeah. into so i can see why in this time you're like oh wait they're taking me seriously and they're taking my investment in in the show emotionally seriously. Like, that's amazing. Uh, I am obviously watching it in the era where I'm like, Spock's dad. He's a really good actor. I really liked him. I actually liked him better as the Romulan guy in that that submarine episode. A Uh, lot of Sarek. Yeah, but um, yeah, great, great episode. Uh, yeah, um, uh-huh. yeah, we
1: in move on conclusion. to
0: um, get your colonoscopies <laughs> and go to therapy. <laughs>
1: uh, I've done one, I believe. At what is it forty five now? I'm supposed to get a colonoscopy. I got six more years. I don't know.
0: I'm 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 due in a couple of years.
1: I don't think so. I think you'd, they recommend regular ones at forty five, Peter.
0: Oh. I, I don't need to spill my medical history out, but Maybe because of so many to. people, so many men in my family have, we can edit this out. So many men in my family have gotten colon cancer. Yeah. Uh, I am supposed to get it at 35. Oh, okay. Well,
1: we might be, yeah. we might be, you might beat me. You can tell me all about it. <laughs> um, so the next one is Remember Me, which is one I actually like debated including this or another one. I love this episode, but I also was like... There's going to be a part where a character comes back, the Traveler, that Peter's going to go, who the fuck is this guy? Because – and I'm like, I'm not going to make you watch a first season episode. Like, when, And I rewatched it. I'm like, I think he'll get most of this. There's this guy who has some connection to weird dimensional space-time stuff they met a long time ago in the first season. I've like,
0: listened to Blues Traveler. Yeah, whatever.
1: Uh, the hook brings you back. You get it.
0: Um. Uh,
1: but yeah, this episode – is a great like Star Trek mystery show of which there are many to pick from that are great in the next generation that we're not covering, um, but this one I like. I rewatching it too. Like the the connection you mentioned about like that fear of losing people and just the way that Beverly Crusher reacts to what's going on and the way she relies on like the trust of her friends and and her coworkers is so great. But essentially, yeah, Beverly Crusher welcomes this uh, her an old mentor of hers onto the Enterprise. Later, all of a sudden, that guy's gone, and um, he seems to be scrubbed from all of their records as well. And so there's, like, this mystery of investigating, like, what did Dr. Galen Quaist, what did he do to get scrubbed from existence, apparently? But everyone's kind of, like, going on. But there's these weird things that creep up, like, not just the computer records, but, like, people that she's like, well, you saw, you beamed him in. And Chief O'Brien's like, well, you came in and said hi to me, but I... Was gone and blah, blah, blah. And there's this minor theory about, like, well, you came to engineering and maybe we were doing this static warp bubble. And theoretically, if you're, you know, a warp bubble is basically a separation of space and time. So possibly something happened there. And they're like, well, maybe not. And then the episode goes on. You start realizing that it's actually more and more people that keep disappearing. Like, At some point, you kind of realize, like, Beverly is like, I'm the only doctor aboard the Enterprise for all 1,000 people? And everyone's like, well, there's only 200 people, and there always has been on the Enterprise. More and more people start disappearing, and it finally flashes to what you realize what's going on, that Beverly, when she went and said hi to Wesley Crusher and and Geordi in engineering, she's the one that got trapped in the warp bubble, which is now essentially a place outside of time and space where she has created her own reality and her reality that... The kind of impetus of that was this thought and this fear of losing everyone around you. And so, uh, you know, there's these efforts with this old uh, person that had helped out the Enterprise a long time ago and had felt a connection to Wesley Crusher of like kind of someone who thinks differently than most people. Uh, There's an attempt to bring her back. She sees that as uh, a a vortex that might suck her and make her disappear as well, but it's actually them trying to get her back till eventually it's just Picard on the Enterprise and then Picard goes away and then all of a sudden she realizes that the universe itself is shrinking around her she makes the connections the static warp bubble and she kind of takes realizes where it's going to be and takes a leap leap of faith and gets out and kind of you know there's a, a you know kind of a, a wonderful little ending of like realizing wh- what the thought that existed in her head as the universe was created around her and kind of figuring out that puzzle. It also has one of my favorite Star Trek lines of all of all time, which is that there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with the universe, which is uh, a very funny, very funny line yeah. and one that works really well here. Uh, what did you think of this one, Peter? This is a, you know, this again, classic kind of Star Trek mystery. I'm sure you – one of the fun things about rewatching is realizing that like, oh, in that first moment when – like when Wesley turns around and his mom's out there in engineering, we're seeing her get disappeared into the static warp bubble. But at the time it just feels like, oh, she left and everything's going yeah. out of business. So what do you think of the mystery? Were you confused at all by what the fuck the traveler is? What what'd you yeah, think of this one? Yeah,
0: so I I thought I did think it was also interesting. Like we I was talking about how there's a loose theme that connects yeah. all these and how like it's like a body mind conflict. Like what you want to do with your, your mind is limited by your body or or you know, um there, there's some there's there's some individual sort of plays on the fact that like our bodies and our minds are not always one to one, right? Um, this one is particularly interesting to me because it clicked into a different theme that kind of I think it's not all the episodes, but it's basically everyone except for Deja Q, which is that time is like a um, time is a um, like a, a haunting force yeah. in our life. Um and time and regret. So, like, Sarek is, like, a, a version of that that yeah. anybody can, re- can refer to. Like, the regrets of our lives come back to haunt us and, like, anybody can say they live without regret, but, like, that's a journey that you pursue. That's not, yeah. like, an end point you're on, right? Um. And this episode, the Groundhog Day episode, cause and effect, um, the next phase, they're, like, very much about how, like, <laughs> people existing in different times and different spaces can yeah. be incredibly frustrated by um the fact that like my experiences are not aligning with your experiences because yeah. the way that I experience time is different than your. It's just made super, super literal yeah. in in this. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I really liked this episode, not I, not as much as the next few. Yeah. Um because um it's not not anything about against Beverly Crusher. I imagine I maybe would have l- liked this a little bit more if I had more background on Crusher and I had a little bit more background on the Traveler. Yeah. But it, it, I almost said, Hey, if you have time, watch this one other episode.
1: I do think that's helpful. It's also interesting to note, like flashing ahead to season seven. So Wesley eventually goes to Starfleet Academy, mostly because we will we won it off the show, which is actually why they introduce Michelle Forbes Rolerin later on. Uh, she has a really good introduction episode that we didn't get to, but I figured you could figure out who she
0: was <laughs> guest star, whatever. Um, and then he goes to. I don't star- know anything about her race, but I figured I figured out who her character. Yeah,
1: was but basically. so but. Jo- Eventually, if we ever do DS Nine, Bajorans are are huge, and the Cardassians are huge too. You'll learn a little bit about the Cardassians next week, but essentially, think of it as like Bajorans Maj- were like uh, they're a very peaceful, religious planet that was held captive by the um, um by the Cardassians for like like basically terrorized and treated as kind of a slave race by the Cardassians for hundreds of years, and like at the time of Star Trek the Next Generation, and again, the big thing about DS Nine is DS Nine is right it uh, was a Kardashian station that's that's right orbiting uh Bajor. Because they the the Kardashians have finally left due to Bajoran terrorist actions and like finally they gave up on that, but still a lot of the Cardassians want to go and take control back of the the planet and stuff like that. So she is actually someone who um, You know, they talk about, oh, she would have been promoted without the incidents because she aided some Bajoran uh, terrorists outside of Starfleet and ended up in, like, a penal colony for a little bit.
0: I'm laughing because I'm piecing. Not because the Bajoran Holocaust is horrifying and that's funny to me. Um, I'm not laughing for that reason. I'm laughing because the reason that I knew almost all the information you just told me is because of an an extended Maria Bamford bit on her stand-up album. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Great. And I didn't realize at the time she wasn't just making up words. (laughs) And I'm clicking now. I'm like, she was just dropping Star Trek lore in the middle of a bit. Well, it will be important. Soda's favorite, Bamford.
1: You're going to get some good uh, 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 – shoot, what's his name? Oh, my God. I literally had it. It went out of my head. David – he's been in Star Trek so many times. David – in Ninja Turtles Two, Secret of the David Warner, you'll get some good. Oh, David, you'll Warner. get some good David Warner as a Cardassian in the episodes we watch next week.
0: I have, I associate him specifically with you because it feels <laughs> yeah, like I know. Um, Big David Warner head he over here. Like, he feels like a me actor. Yeah, he feels like he feels like an Aaron actor. Yeah, he feels he like he is exclusively in Aaron type movies. Yes, he is. he is very much.
1: Um, so. Uh, So, yeah, the – yeah, I – I uh, well, anyways, well, where I was getting at, so eventually um, uh, Wesley goes to Starfleet Academy and he has an incident that kind of – he ends up – I think he gets a discipline. I forgot if he leaves Starfleet Academy at that time. Maybe he doesn't. But eventually he just realized Starfleet Academy and, and like I mentioned in Star Trek Nemesis, the last time we see Wesley Crusher is actually like he goes away to study – the universe with the traveler in a season seven episode. So when I said, Oh, we hadn't seen him since he literally disappeared into like a different conception of space time than we have. It's cause he ends up like following this kind of art. This, it's only across three episodes, but like there's a first season episode travelers in the fourth season episode. And then there's a seventh season episode called journeys. And where Wesley decides like Starfleet isn't what I want. This is where I, I should follow this and uh so that's why it's like extra insulting to fans that when he shows up in nemesis he's just like in a starfleet dress uniform and like at a table and doesn't say anything it's like wait did he go back to Starfleet? It's like a war situation like where they (laughs) like what is happening uh that movie really was a middle finger um yeah well uh i don't think we have to talk anymore about this one again i i think there's so many good like episodes like clue or ship in a bottle or some other ones um clues uh ship in a bottle or conundrum some other ones i was thinking about including but ultimately like i really i this is a a fun mystery one and i I love all the piecing together like that it's not just people that are disappearing but that the universe is shrinking around her is it's great Mm -hmm
0: yeah 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 i um as a mystery i thought it was very compelling i think i was missing like a li- little bit of context to make it really saying um but i do like i do like uh crusher dr crusher so um yeah
1: she got a fun relationship yeah. with picard too they almost i think they might have sex in a seventh season episode because you, you remember the whole thing with like uh that there's a there is a little runner of like uh, John Luke Picard somewhat being in love with Crusher, but Crusher marries um her his best friend uh, Jack Crusher, and um yes. it, it's it's Patrick bringing Patrick back. Stewart as the captain of the Stargazer sent Jack to his death, and so it feels yeah. like incredible, like not on purpose, but like ordered a ordered a be
0: a very different
1: <laughs> it'd be a very different show <laughs> ordered a mission that resulted in West Beverly Crusher's. Death, And that's why initially he was, like, not sure she should be on the Enterprise and, like, also, like, having this immense guilt at, like, having feelings for someone who chose his friend and then he sent his friend to his death leaving his, you know, object of his affection at a young age with a child who – so, like, there is there is that whole thing. And so, like – but, you know, in the first few seasons, that's one of discomfort. He doesn't really like – Children and he doesn't know he doesn't he doesn't know what to do with this whole situation. But he also is like, well, she's the best, and I want to be professional. And so, like, them developing a friendship later on is also like, as evidenced in this episode, is a really good like character development that continues on through the through the series. But let's get to cause and effect, the Groundhog Day episode. First thing I gotta ask you, Peter, how excited were you when you saw Kelsey Grammer on the opening credits? And did you forget that he was in the show? By the time the end until he showed up, the absolutely,
0: raid. absolutely. Um, saw so I I I saw him in the opening credits, and then I assumed it was some like random thing I missed, similar yeah. to uh showing Will Wheaton, yeah. And then he just hi, yeah, I'm here too, uh, <laughs> or or it was a beast thing, yeah, because like Kelsey Grammer's career had weird arcs where he was the biggest, yeah. he was on the biggest sitcom yeah. in the world. And then on the biggest sitcom in the world. Yeah. And then he kind of couldn't get movies made. Um, so I wasn't sure at what era, you know, like at, at, once I put the numbers together, I was like, if he's coming back. This is like, something. this is Cheers era. This is like, yeah. He,
1: I mean, that's why he has yeah. the beard in the later seasons of Cheers. He grew a beard. This is pre-Fraser.
0: Yep. 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 Um, so uh, especially once I saw his face, it, it really registered. I know. Um, yeah. But uh, ter- terrific uh, gag reveal. It does have a bit of... Unfortunately, Frasier has become kind of a mm-hmm, meme. Yeah. It, but in a, a meme in the way Columbo has, where it's like, the meme is really there so people can be like, "Frazier's really funny. Or, you know, the yeah. way Columbo has become a meme isn't like, Columbo's stupid. The way Columbo's become a meme is like, well, holy shit, this moment went so hard. But also, and Kel- teen say, Frazier's become a meme... Separately, Kelsey Grammer
1: has become a meme. There's so much meme is-, is tied up into this that like seeing like, oh, this cool actor shows up. I, I forgot that they said and guest starring um, Kelsey Grammer as – like Kelsey Grammer in big letters and Captain Bozeman in tiny letters and I'm like, I would bet money. That Peter saw that was like, holy shit, Frazier's gonna be in this. And then he just doesn't show up until the end that you forgot. minutes is a long. Tell, time. I bet, I was like, I bet he forgot. I bet he forgot. Cause at first I thought that it was a surprise that they didn't do like, and you know, the first credit is like special guest started, not ruin mm. the surprise. But, uh, yeah, no, they do it, but then they really wait. Uh, to the end. So, yeah, this is the Groundhog Day episode. It, start, it starts in one of probably the most striking opening, like, pre-credit sequences where the Enterprise is like, all hands abandoned ship, about to blow up. You see the Enterprise blow up and then you go back and you start um, earlier. You don't quite know what's happening, but essentially it's doing the Groundhog Day thing. Um, they ran into a disruption in the space-time con- continuum that essentially all these things keep leading back, but they're, because of some, you know, time-space distortion, it's not they there's the while they don't have specific memories, although they're starting to get more and more deja vu around what's going on and questioning things that didn't this happen before, they also have the technology to kind of detect some of the echoes in the actual space-time continuum that they're passing through through this journey. And so those two things combined, they get more and more aware. They eventually determine how to send an echo back to themselves. Has to be that that someone can recognize data can recognize ultimately, and that um, which essentially puts them as they're suggesting options when they're about to collide with this ship that comes through this space time wormhole, make them explode and go back. That data realizes that the message they sent back was not to listen to his own suggestion, but to listen to Riker's suggestion of, and that that brings them to safety. And then they find out that this other ship, captained by Frazier has um, has been in the same time loop. But for something like 70 years, they're wearing the old, you know, uh, TOS movie, app, uh, uh, movie uniforms and uh, have been. In. It also, like, the, part of the thing is that the crew of the Enterprise starts to, like, kind of deduce this in, like, I think they say, like, three weeks, essentially, they really start piecing this together. How dumb... <laughs> is Frazier and his crew for like being in this thing for 77 years and at the end of it he still has he only gets like two he's lines like, but he's like that
0: doesn't seem right to me at all <laughs> it's also we haven't noticed anything because weird because they are closer to the movie groundhog day yeah. as a reference point yeah yeah because they spend a
1: long time in it we basically see almost all the iterations that the enterprise yeah. crew goes through but um
0: it's, it's very interesting, though, because it's not Groundhog Day in the way that Palm Springs is or uh, Killed I Repeat, where there's, like, a one central protagonist character, sometimes two, yeah. um, who remembers. Or uh,
1: Monday, the X-Files episode or other things where Fox Mulder's reliving.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, we, during our next Groundhog Day month, um, whenever they make Palm Springs 2 or whatever, yeah. and we can justify a month, we should do a special episode that's just, like, a bunch of Groundhog Day episodes. Yeah, we, we've
1: talked about that before, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but... um they, it's an interesting take on it because it's not the thing where one or two characters knows what's going on. It follows Beverly pretty closely, but she doesn't know any better than anybody else. It's just that she is getting more strong hunches yeah. than other people. Yeah, and also she we're just like, zooming in on her, like we,
1: like we do in almost every Next Generation episode after the first two seasons. Like, pick a character to tell the story somewhat through their perspective, but everyone doesn't become a side character. They're just like, you you have to pick a perspective and it's not always yeah, going to yeah. be the captain yeah
0: and she's getting weird hunches and it begins with the poker game right and yep. the idea of a poker game is right like there's there's set outcomes the deck is going to be shuffled the same way every single fucking time cuz Data's is a robot yeah. like there's no ra- there's no real randomness yeah. uh, to the deck being shuffled the cards are coming out in the same order he's always going uh clockwise yeah. around the, the circle um so she but she somehow knows like what her next hand is going to be she she kind of is getting hunches Yeah, and she seems to be the only one verbalizing them because even like, you know, a couple
1: times they're like, have you – anytime she asks anyone if they've been experiencing deja vu, everyone goes, yeah, and then explains the situation. But like, no one thought it was weird. They're ignoring it. They're ignoring it. Like, Picard's like, oh, I must have read that in high school as opposed
0: to just like the last time through this time period. And, and what's crucial here is that this is supposed to be a scientific future that has beaten out a lot of superstitions and, um, hocus pocus. Yeah. And uh, you and I, uh, or our friends may feel deja vu and for a moment be like, like, is this a sign? Do I need to interpret this as information? Yeah. Um, and that's a feeling that anybody can, can, um, sort of understand, right? Yeah. Um,
1: and sometimes it, it's not even like you kind of realize like oh yeah, I probably have sat in this spot when the sun was coming through watching this a uh, bluey episode because I do that. <laughs> you know, yes. like you know.
0: Yes. Yeah. And um, however like a rational version of humans would be in their head, they would say oh that was deja vu. And in the future, they'd be like, "We did seven thousand studies on déjà vu, and we proved that it's yeah, just yeah. the brain is is forming memories, and there's a hiccup in memory forming, yeah. and it feels like you're experiencing the memory as it's happening." Um, we did brain scans on seven million brains, like yeah. we, you know, like that kind of thing. Like th- this meant this far in the future, they would be pretty rational about it, which would mean that like Riker probably wouldn't even think to mention déjà vu. It would just be like that's a thing human. It's a it is a bug yeah. of human brains yeah and then him being like yeah i did have a really strong sense <laughs> that i knew what the next card that you were that, yeah. yeah what the next card was gonna be yeah, yeah I... um and she i like that she wins the hands, just like you know by rules of poker yeah but then as the cor- they go on like rikers hunches make him <laughs> beat her like the outcome of the game actually like gets worse for her because she's just yeah like,
1: yeah, that's She's a, not worried about the game anymore either. That's a really good point. Yeah, and there's all those little moments of like her figuring out through like, oh, it, it is the only Groundhog Day thing. Like so much of the Groundhog Day template is that like don't explain it, right? We don't know why Fox Mulder repeats Monday over and over. It's just a it's an X-Files thing. We don't know why, you know, Phil Connors repeats it. To be a better person, sure. But, you know, why was he chosen or something like that? Palm Springs, like, I don't know. There's a weird magic fountain in the center of the – who knows? Like, this is one that's, like – again, it's not, like, serious science, but it is, like, they aren't, like, convincing people their hunches or trying to change their behavior. They're, like, how do we get evidence of this? And, like, Beverly helps discover it both by recording the disruption because she – that they passed through and, like, figuring out that, uh, you know, Jordy's visor is picking stuff up and, like – they are attempting in a way not just as a group effort, which is interesting, but also to kind of like, okay, this is a problem we can solve as opposed to like an ineffable, mythical, magical thing that exists until who knows when. And and that's that, it, that does separate it. I also like the thing that like frustrates me a little bit when I was a kid watching this that I have more of an appreciation for now is like every time Picard says, everyone's like, oh, we're going to blow up. We have recordings of us blowing up. We think we're stuck in something weird. Should we do anything different? And every time everyone goes, no, 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 no. (laughs) Like, let's just do the same thing and we have to, like, trust our instincts. And, yeah, you called it out early. It's not – it is – it's kind of like, Peter, we joke about it all this time when we listen back to our our old episodes of this show. How many times we think of something that – as a response to the other – like, You'll say you I'll be listening to a recording and you'll say something. I'll think of a response to that and then me from five years ago says that response word for word and it's like, oh my god. Like it happens so often.
0: I, I, I happened to me recently. I don't always re-listen to our episodes yeah. but it happened to me recently with um – me trying to catch up and be like, "What state of mind was I in when we were recording the last few Star Trek yeah. episodes?" Yeah, it, and I the exact the exact same thing happened where I made a joke in my car and as the last word to myself in yeah. my in my head, and then as the last word was coming out, I started saying the joke on the track, yeah. and I was like, "Okay."
1: And it happens so often and I do think like podcasts are are probably one of the only mediums where you – because it is extemporaneous and we're not thinking through our responses and we don't do any – surprise spoiler, we don't do any written material beforehand. But it's also you and I having a conversation. I'm literally just reliving conversations that I had with a friend Mm -hmm. and so I literally am reacting to what you are saying to me. And, like, there's just a part of my brain that goes, this is what you should say or that's the joke that connects. And, like, it's scary how often that happens. And that I think that's reflected well in, like, this episode that, like, it's not a bunch of people being stubborn. It's a bunch of people that are just like, you know, how much free will do we have in the moment? They're just reacting to stimuli in a way that even knowing that their initial reaction is under some level of scrutiny – don't really have a – free will might not be the right term. But some ways, yeah, they don't really have the free will to change it because it's not thoughtful. And that's why they're like, we're just going to go for it and let's say if we react to it and we're smart enough, we'll figure it out. And they can't do that because how they reacted to it that got them blown up the first time is the same thing they're going to do every time in those quick moments even knowing – that they should be second guessing themselves or thinking through it, they just don't have the time to do it. And their their minds are programmed through both a combination of genetics and experience to like spit out whatever it is on short notice. And so, I I that was an element of this episode that frustrated me when I was a kid because it felt like a plot contrivance to keep them headed towards the space time continuum. And it is that, but it's also, I think, a, a more interesting statement on just like how humans are programmed in a way that we don't like to think about sometimes
0: you're absolutely right um the um i do sometimes get stuck in that thing where it's like oh that's annoying because it's realistic (laughs) yeah (laughs) um which is like you know sometimes it matters. like for something that's supposed to be purposefully sort of antagonistic it's good but it's like Does everything need to be purposely antagonistic? Mm -hmm. Um, For this, I do think that in a 40-minute window, having to watch the Enterprise blow up all those times does feel like too much. And I understand. And I think the funny thing is that I think it's the right amount of cycles. Yeah. Yeah, it's like four or five. Yeah. The restarts are not... Like, watching the poker scene play out in different ways over and over again is not frustrating. Yeah. Watching everything get fucked up and blow up again is, is, is frustrating to me um and i think that that's just a a byproduct of it being 40 minutes and that like every few minutes like something very cataclysmic and violent happens yeah and you have to watch that shaky camera yeah because they're like oh no i mean it (laughs) is like
1: it is fucking cool to see like the end now you've seen the enterprise world for real because in one of the first star trek next generation things that you saw but like that crash
0: landing is so good.
1: Yeah, it, like it was insane to, you know, even kind of knowing the pod's episode to just see like the opening scene of Star Trek and the Enterprise blows up. Like obviously you're going to get it back, but they they still blew up a fucking giant model. Like it wasn't as detailed as the one they used for everything else, but like it's a real model they exploded.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that I didn't want to watch the model explode. I'm merely saying that it lo- it, it it has some sort of like dulling emotional impact yeah. watching it happen over and over and over again from the same angles um in 40 minutes you wanted fraser exact you
1: just like bring out Frazier, get him out of the Frasier, fr- Frasier.
0: the literal space-time honestly, curtain though, honestly though one of the best co- smartest conclusions to a groundhog day scenario mm-hmm. everybody realizes together what the fuck just happened at the same time you're like, what what's the deal with that other ship that looks like an enterprise yeah. ship? Is that them? Like it's a good mystery, yeah. right? Is that them? Yeah. Like you don't actually get for most of the for for most of the most the first few runs, you don't get enough a good yeah. enough look at it to tell that it's an older ship. But I think by run three, you're like, uh, eh, that's not their ship. That's something that's something yeah. older. By I run one or two, you're just like, you're, it, it might as well. Yeah, you're be thinking about, about the Enterprise shape. Explode, not
1: about the ship. And yeah, it is a great little twist that it's another ship and it's been in there for seventy-eight years. And again, just a ship full of dum-dums. Not it's once, so not once in 70 70- years. <laughs> no one ever went like, hey, did this happen before? Like, uh, which is, like I said, ha- why that's funnier is because at the time that this episode was Kelsey Grammer and... Was so entwined with his Frazier character who was a blowhard but incredibly intelligent. Like that's the joke of Frazier, right? These people are socially inept and focus on the wrong things. But on paper, they're, he's a very smart, celebrated psychologist. Where now the meme about Kelsey Grammer is that he's a huge dumbhead. <laughs> so I do think
0: it's – He's a dumbass with this really intelligent sounding transatlantic accent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he sounds really smart, but then when he like he's like purposefully playing into like right wing politics yeah. because right wingers will make get his movies made. Yeah. He's like uh, yes, of course, I consider myself a Christian. Yeah, I know he's so. Of, of course, I worship our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But that's why it's funny because,
1: like now, Kelsey Grammer is like, "Oh, you're a huge dum-dum, and him playing this guy that didn't realize anything was going on for seventy eight years fits a lot better.
0: Anyways, it's, it's a bit. Better. We got two I more episodes. Do still love him in this era as a performer. Yeah, I just rewatched most of Frasier a couple years ago. I guess it was during COVID, so three years yeah. ago. Um, rewatched most of Frasier. Um. And I was – and I was just enamored with it and to the point that seeing him brought me genuine joy in this episode. Uh, I mean, Frasier and
1: Cheers are both incredible shows and, like, I feel like they get passed over for the Seinfeld as, like, the edgier take and the um, uh, Friends is the consensus pick of, like, the sitcoms from those times. But, like, Frasier goes down so (laughs) easily. Oh, yeah. I mean – I mean – the Emmy's not so, because that's why it like <laughs> won seven years in a row. Uh, Seinfeld could barely eke out a win. Uh, anyways,
0: the next oh, phase. While we're there, really quickly, yeah. I just want to point out that it's better for that entire crew to be kind of dumb, because the alternative is every single cycle. Oh, yeah, very stressful. They went a little fucking crazier. And then every single cycle, one person on the crew goes, I wonder what his face would look like stuck to a mirror. And then they start carving that person's face off. You're saying like every cycle
1: is the fucking event horizon? But, yeah, where every, we're going, eventually. we don't have like that.
0: That would have been a different start ending. From zero every day, yeah. like every day, every day. Samuel wakes up and has to take his fucking eyes out. Yeah, <laughs> what what a day those guys had. Uh, well, also you don't.
1: know. One of the fun things. I hate Mondays. One of the fun things about it is that like you don't know how long it is, right? Like it's not like a twenty four hour day, like a Groundhog Day or Palm Springs. Like theoretically, that it sets it flings them back. Could be a week. Like they're living the trip every single week. I think even. It's true. Day is
0: a euphemism. Um, All right. It might be six hours. It might be six days.
1: So the next phase, you haven't got a Geordie episode, which is fun. Uh, Jordy doesn't always have the best episodes, but obviously LeVar Burton is amazing and one of my favorite characters on the show. Uh, This is uh, one of my favorite, like, just fun adventure episodes that the show does with this, like, cool sci-fi, you know, concept around, hey, what if you could cloak but also phase through matter? and it's also i think a really good bellwether episode for like so one of the but
0: not through floor matter so
1: uh, (laughs) that's actually what i'm getting to right now like one (laughs) of the things you like i initially embraced but ultimately got sick of is this thing of like um can i enjoy my science fiction if it doesn't always make all this sense and there's like I had the nitpickers guide to Star Trek The Next Generation at a time, you know, 20 years before Cinema Sins. And some of that was cool. Like, oh, they changed this premise. And oh, here's a continuity thing that, like, if you're an obsessive fan of Star Trek like I was, but at some point hearing some people, like, literally flip out online or in some of these books about, like, well, why don't they go through the floor? Or how could they take over Vulcan with 20,000 ships? You couldn't take over Cleveland with 20,000 ships in this, like, other episodes and stuff like that. And, like... At some point, it's like, just, you know, it it is the mystery science series 1000 thing. Like, it's just a show I should really just relax. And yes, Star Trek takes itself seriously and takes some of its science seriously, but it also is trying to deliver an entertaining experience. And like, if you are caught up in, you know, I, I think this is a good one because like, there's tons of those, like being possessed by aliens in an episode, like, or all these other things that are like unrealistic even from a science fiction concept but they make fun episodes a lot of times and so like yeah you can't figure out a way to do this and explain why they don't go through the floors or elevators or everything else or like can't breathe air immediately and just suffocate and die because their lungs aren't phasing with the oxygen but you have to, like, go, on one hand, I could have that, or I could have an amazingly fun episode where two people are cloaked and passing through matter. And you get to do, like you said, like a real uh, – a full Tom Sawyer episode where everyone on the crew is reacting to Jordy, who's been a long-term member, and Roe, who's a relatively recent addition to, like, the recurring guest star cast, have died and seeing the way that everyone interacts with that. like, And that's the plot, essentially – uh, there's a Romulan, Romulans are working, they help uh, a, a Romulan uh, small science ship that is stalled out and their engines are failing, They, because they're the Federation, even though they're kind of quasi in a cold war with the Romulans' help. Um, but meanwhile, Geordi and Ro Laren get phased out of existence because the, what they were doing out there was testing a new type of cloak that would allow you to hide in a star because you're phased, you can phase through matter. They think they're initially dead when they get back in the enterprise. Very funny lines about Geordi going, what do you mean I'm dead? And I still have my, like, uh, I'm a, a, and I still have my visor. I'm some sort of like clothed ghost, blind clothed, blind ghost. <laughs> like, um... And uh, he uh, – yeah, so they eventually realize what's happened uh, and then also the Romulans are sending a, a like an energy beam into the Enterprise that's going to explode it when they go to warp. So they're not just trying to like unfaze so they can regain their life and eat food and you know be back in their reality again but also to save the Enterprise from blowing up. And they realize that they create fields every time they pass through – Matter, So they're trying to like get Data who's been trying to clear all of these chronoton fields on the ship to figure out to, – to make the connection that when they are pat- – that there's a, actually a life form that's creating these. They're not randomly occurring. There's also a Romulan who's been phased out of existence with his phaser who attempts to kill them. And so there's all these fun chase scenes through literal matter through the Enterprise and then they eventually use that disruptor to explode. Uh, and uh, cause enough chronoton fields during their funeral to make them appear for a second, and Data puts everything together. And that's – there's so many great little scenes of, like, like Jordy being so excited realizing his friend is going to put everything together and solve the mystery and save his life, of Data trying to plan the funeral of the only person who ever – he ever considered a friend, but also, like, some very touching moments around, like – you know, everyone else treated me like a thing and Jordy was the first person who talked to me like a person and, like, you know, I consider him my, my best friend is, like, is is such a great, like, little data moment. Uh, yeah, I, I, like, again, this is not your heady sci-fi concept, but this is such a fun episode.
0: Yeah, I uh, I really liked it. Um, I'm a little torn on the fact that, like, there's a, like, a plot to sabotage the Enterprise and that, like, adds, like, a ticking clock that they have to solve for. Yeah. Because it works. It absolutely works. But, like, I so enjoyed the first half or so of yeah. the episode where it's about, it's like a ghost story. It's yeah. about, like... It's about two characters spending time together, trying to understand each other's like perspectives towards death and like what the rules of their scenario are. And then the second half they realize that they're not they're not dead. Um I guess Jordy never really thinks he's dead, yeah. but um Jordy is behaving as if he's in death denial. Yeah. Right.
1: Um, yeah, and that's the way Rowan Roe thinks that what he's doing too. Like you just need yeah. to accept
0: it. Yeah. And I kind of liked the first half of the episode yeah. better than the second half, but the second half does have uh, a fantastic ending. Um so I I do love like this idea that like the show is so good at this where it like within the 40 minutes it can sometimes tell you two stories, yeah. right? And then this it tells you the first story is just a ghost story. It's like what if there's a Star Trek reason for somebody becoming a ghost? Yeah. And um, and can see their own funeral does
1: the Tom Sawyer Thing, all that
0: yeah, because that's and that's like you know exactly. It's time and that's a I fantasy. It's also, like I, it's a common fantasy. I mean, I, I don't know who doesn't I, have that fantasy of like sometimes.
1: when people? Yeah, like like even, even if it's like in a very negative context, like man, if I died tomorrow, I'd love to go to my funeral and see how sorry you are. Like when you're a kid or like have a bad breakup yeah. in high school. But even now, you're like, man, what would happen if I died tomorrow? Like who would show up to my funeral? What would people say about it? Like it's impossible not to think about that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, you're right. I do associate it with being like a emo teenager. Um, yeah, but it is certainly a thing that like I, it pops up in my adult life just less maliciously.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I don't not as revenge, but just a general <laughs> curious. And of course,
0: you know, just y- like what it, what it people and it's because I, I think it's because like it's healthier to not think t- too deep about what people think about you. Like, yeah. if people choose to spend time with you willingly, like, yeah. They probably like you. Just try and treat them as best as you're physically capable of. And if they give you feedback about why you're not a good person, then well, and Roger take that feedback. Roger Ebert um, always had like,
1: this good thing about like why humans are so like worried about death. It's because like we're we're generally creatures that are like interested in the dramatic and interested in endings and are. And our death, by its nature, is like a premature ending, right? Like, we want to know what happens next in the story. And when you die, you don't know what comes next in the story. You're not there to experience about it. So, like, especially as it relates to you, there's a general natural, like, curiosity that its nature will never be sated around the idea of, like, well, what will happen at the end of my life? What comes What comes next in that story? And why that Tom Sawyer myth or, like, the, the sequences here are so, like – generally satisfying is you're having characters live a fantasy that almost everyone has had at some point that none of us will ever get to experience unless we do something incredibly fucked up
0: (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. and um and I I do think it's interesting how like like because you don't know like let's say let's say the afterlife is real I don't happen to believe it's real but like you don't know actually until you get there yeah how you, are you going to be a, a person of denial, or are you yep. going to be a person who says, "Yeah, I guess that's this is what happens to everybody, and I guess it was my time. That sucks, you know, but it was at least we were. I was doing something that I feel good about, and I worked hard, and like you know, I have some regrets about my life. Like you don't know if you're going to be a Jordy or a row in that scenario, right? Yeah, like nobody does. Um, and I, I think that's fascinating. I'm going to be. A, I'm going to be a Jordy. I'm going to be. It's got to be a mistake. I got to get back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I probably, I don't know. I feel like I'd be closer to a row. I'd be like, well, I guess that
1: happens. Oh, yeah. I think you'd be, I think you'd be closer to a row. I'm just saying I would be a journey. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's a good question. Like, which, which end of the spectrum do you think you'd fall on? Yeah. Like, I think I'd pro, and it's not that I'm like some man who has like peace with himself or something. Like, I'm constantly wrestling with myself, but I'm just like, I'd probably, I'd probably, um, so I ghost go insane. Sense, yeah. Like at first it'd be kind of cool to see hear what people think, and then you're like, I would like to affect something, please. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would actually go, I would like to not know what anybody thinks about anything. Yeah. I'm done with that. I died. Can yeah. I be can I just move on? <laughs> can I can I stop having people's will exerted on me? Yeah, well um, I mean that's that's reflected here a
1: little bit too, because data's kind of quizzing people about their death rituals, and I love like Worf, who's like kind of like impatiently listening to data talk and is like look i really can't even engage in this conversation i am so jealous of these two getting to die a warrior's death and go yeah <laughs> it's like it, it is also like in a in a show that only got better and better at character moments everyone with like Riker having some hidden secret that never gets revealed about what he was going to say about roe and picard like you know, telling the stories about Jordy when he met as a young engineer and, like, a story that obviously we never got to see. Like, all just, like, little amazing character moments that just shows how well-sketched at this point the entire crew is.
0: Yeah, and the the Roe thing is interesting. Does that ever come back? Uh, no, not really. I mean, Roe comes back. Sorry, do, do you ever get to find out what Riker thinks about Roe?
1: No, I think he thinks he's, like, a I think this show is, like, implying that there's some sort of, like, attraction between the two of them. And, like, if it is, it's unrequited at any point. But, like...
0: Because they move on. They move back to the Troy uh, Troy Riker. No. They never do.
1: Actually, they don't on the show at all. Um, I mean, in the movies. Yeah. In the movies. Actually, they move on to the Troy Wharf thing. Spoilers for a few episodes you'll be watching next uh, next season. Uh, or next, yeah, next episode. Yeah, that's... A-
0: yeah, that, that I mean, that's you know, like I, it makes sense that especially in the future, like these people would date other people. Well,
1: part I, of it I, too, I, like some of the context that you, I think you might end up missing. This is that, um, Troy, remember Alexander Worf's son is on the ship as of like, or maybe you don't know that. So he he yeah
0: yeah little 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 Worf I remember yeah that. but
1: he has he has Alexander go live with his parents on Earth. That's the plot of family that he's not like right and then. But in there's an episode in the fifth season where his parents are like, he needs, like, a Klingon and a fatherly influence. We can't just raise your son for you. And Troy, like, helps Worf deal with, like, how to be a parent. And, like, yeah. that ends up building some connection that is, like, dipped into maybe it could be romantic.
0: Yeah. It, so uh, the funeral thing, um, I'm not sure if you've had a similar conversation before, but <clears> – <throat> My brother and I left my grandmother's funeral and we both agreed. We were like, absolutely no funeral homes Um, and uh, absolutely no funeral home dirge bullshit. Um, And like we just said a bunch of other rules. We were like in agreement. We like shook hands on it. Like we were like none of these like I remember all of them, but it's not worth going through the list. Um, and he's like, yeah. And if I like give the wherewithal, like make a playlist of good music that like you like, yeah. and have like beer, and like have it be like a hangout thing, yeah. and hopefully at my house, right? Yeah. Um, and because that, that's actually like the reason funeral homes came into it came into um, popularity is because of marketing. Yeah. Um, originally, you used to uh, have uh, and status and inside and everything the home. else. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's where the term living room came from. It's like a marketing thing. Like, you're not supposed to keep the, the dead in your home, whatever. Yeah. So, um, all of that. that. Uh, and funer- and famously, nobody likes going to funeral funeral parlors. Um, and it's something that is gradually, I think, going to be sort of phased out or changed over time. Because, like, it's very much... Yeah, the, the
1: youth are very thing. much like... Well, as, as, like, the concept of, like, oh, God doesn't like it if you <laughs> mess up your yeah. body. Keep it preserves. He's very... This guy got a lot of hang ups and like don't get on his bad side.
0: Yes. Um and, and I think yeah. What about the resurrection the where life. you have
1: to go back in your body? You want a pile of ashes? You wanna be a fucking pile of ashes for eternity? Pay us thirty thousand dollars.
0: Yes. And yeah, that's the other that's the other piece, right? Is that like um cremation is like probably gonna be the only thing any of us can afford in the future, so yeah. um And it's all, it's, I I don't want to be put in a box where my body just fucking becomes a, a I've seen too
1: many hormones. I do like the David Cross thing. Like just throw me in a dumpster out back.
0: (laughs) Doesn't David Cross bit also go? give me just some pedophiles. pedophiles, Give me some necrophiliacs. let
1: them have a little fun. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, I'll be dead. Exactly. I don't really care. But the point, the point is that like, I don't want people to feel obligated to go to a a funeral parlor because those places are fucking awful. Um. But I understand some people want that sort of sterile, sort of calm space to, like, go go mourn. And everybody deserves to, so like, if that's what you want, then, like, sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, but we talked about this thing where it's, like, the party thing. But, like, it's genuinely, like, people mourn in different ways even within their own culture. And I found this very interesting because, like, okay, so my <clears throat> uncle died. An uncle I love very much. Um, I heard the news. Cried a bunch. was very sad about it. I flew home just bullshit going on with like the just administrative bullshit going on. They could not get his body cremated and ready at the funeral parlor for like five days. So I was just at home. I mourned with my family for like a weekend. And then I saw my cousins, uh, his children um, and their family grandkids. And by the time that I got there, I was like excited to see them, and like I was in a good mood. I was like I had already moved through the initial stage of just like mourning and just being like I'm really sad that this that my uncle's gone. Yeah, and I moved on to this new stage, which was just like remember that fucking funny thing he did, or remember yeah. remember that this funny college photo, but that like uh, where we found out later that like his parents came to visit him for college and there's this photo of him sitting in his dorm room and he had grown a beard. It was clearly fucking stoned out of his gourd because his parents didn't know he was coming. Yeah. All of that stuff. And by the time we got there by day five or whatever, like of, of, of this, like, me and my like cousins were like slapping each other's backs like having a great time because we were like like yeah like his urn is over there but like we're talking about all the beautiful things that like
1: i remember
0: about him and having a good time connecting about our mutual good memories of him
1: well i mean and that's
0: the funeral
1: that data ends up coordinating, right it kind of ends up being a celebration Mm -hmm. of life and people having a good time and sharing memories and stuff like that and part of that too like i do expect that to be the norm because like you know our generation too was like very much raised in like a it's not okay to ex- like express negative emotions like don't get angry about this like there's no such thing as healthy angry. and i you know the way that's manifested for so much of this is like dealing with trauma through humor cuz <laughs> like well i can't get angry but i can laugh about it and like yes like you can you can say that's good bad or otherwise but like it also means that a lot of the way that i i do process bad things by trying to remember funny things about it or seeing a a humorous side of it and something like that just because like that is kind of the way you know that we were again right wrong or otherwise how we were raised a lot of us were raised and so i i do think that idea of like the celebration of life and remembering the funny stories and you know occasionally making gallows humor around like uh hope his urn doesn't tip over, he would hate the mess or something like that. Like yeah. is a very prevalent way to kind of express grief based on just the way that we you know a lot of us were brought up to
0: so uh, And it's not always avoidance behavior. No, no. It can't it can be avoidance behavior, but like I don't think finding like my I talked to my mom about this afterwards and she was like, I don't think like making jokes about this is like I think it feels like avoidance. And it was like, Mom, we spent like five days sitting in this. Yeah. Like I think by day six, um, we're, we're ripe to, 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 like, make jokes and, like, like come up with something funny about my uncle. The, like, weird quirks that he had. And, like, yeah. Him.
1: And sometimes and when like, you're connecting with other people who share the same, like, positive memories, it's normal to, like, yeah. you know, again, the good, the bad, and the other stuff. Um, I don't want to give you a disservice to our last episode. So, I do love this episode. This on paper when I was a tw- you know 11 year old who's trying to watch all the Star Trek episodes i could i was i would have this wasn't one i was like excited to watch but i it was very well regarded in the stuff i was even reading at the time and so i i recorded it and i instantly fell in love with it and i've only fallen in love with it more and you know just for some additional context this is usually along with an episode of Star Trek Deep Space 9 called Far Beyond the Stars like if you're reading a list that says the best star trek episodes of all time you are extraordinarily likely to find either this episode or that ds9 episode far beyond the stars as the number one on this list and you know neither of them are necessarily representative of what most star trek episodes are Uh, far beyond the stars is kind of a similar thing where essentially the cast is playing different characters it's kind of a it's the what's reality. The cast is playing characters who are writing a, where where the captain Benjamin Sisko, who's a who's a black man, is writing a story of Deep Space Nine, and um, he is constantly told he shouldn't be writing about a black captain uh, on a futuristic space because of you know racism in the forties and stuff like that. And this one is very much about like again, not about Captain Picard's life, but about this idea of him being transported and living another life for 40 or 50 years and remembering all of it in the blink of an eye as a way of like remembering a civilization. So I, I think the irony of those, those two usually being on the place of the top, two, of the top two episodes of Star Trek is that they're, again, they're, they're, they're exceptions rather than the rule to how most Star Trek episodes follow. But on the same note, they also note to what I think Star Trek can aspire to be because essentially you have a whiteboard with what you want to do when it comes to Star Trek you can do parallel evil versions of yourself who have goatees you can do the Groundhog Day episode you can do a character drama about a someone who falls in love with a robot or more goofily like hippie aliens or a sex game that everyone gets addicted to or, or just straight up space battles or something like that but you can also do this incredibly odd esoteric touching story about Picard living 50 years of his life as a different person on a planet having kids as that planet's way of telling their story of their destroyed planet through supernova uh to to the rest uh, to literally one person in the entire universe. Um and yeah, I think it's a beautiful touching episode. I'm not surprised why it gets the accolades it has. I wouldn't put it as my personal favorite Star Trek Next Generation episode, but it definitely is is up there.
0: What what'd you think of this one? Oh, it's beautiful. Um, I, you know, it's it's a sci-fi show, so they have to inherently come up with some goofy framing device to get you there. Yeah, but the goofy framing device, I think, is um, additive because I do like this tension. Um, it's it, the tension is a good symbol for our lives. So the tension there is you're watching what seems to be a beautiful semi-idyllic um yeah. version of reality. Picard has uh a as a as a man named Kamin He has Yeah, he sees a, a pro.
1: He wakes up as this guy named Cabin. He remembers everything about his Picard life. So first he thinks he's in a holodack or being brainwashed. And then you start flash forwarding 20 years into his life and he's given up all that and eventually accepts that his wife is his wife. It he happens has, off screen. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. You're basically just checking in every five or ten years and like Also living with the fact that there's a a global climate disaster seemingly happening on this planet, and he's still choosing to make decisions to have kids. And his kids are having decisions to have grandkids in what could be a futile existence. And, like, yeah, he just – and he becomes a father and recognizes – you know, there's that line about, like, I always thought my life didn't need children, and now, holy cow, like, I – But, yeah, I mean, one of the things that really stays with me about this episode is – and I'm sure it stayed with you too – is, like, the realization of, like, man, he he woke up 50 years later having lived all 50 of those years and is trying to reset back into his Picard. Like, that experience of, like, living 50 years of a life that happened in essentially 20 minutes that then just disappears is both relevant to our real lives but also, like, just, like, a very heady – difficult concept to wrap our minds around
0: yeah and i think okay so there's a tension that at least i had yeah which is is this uh because I, I think this is a pretty common sci-fi trope uh idyllic world ends up being not so idyllic
1: or a or a trick twilight- or a trick to extract information or something like that
0: yeah there's a twilight zone episode uh there's a bunch of twilight zones episodes but one of them that's just coming to mind they all end uh, like that there's so many like that. But the guy thinks he's in heaven because he's got access to gambling oh, yeah. and sex workers and all sorts of stuff. And he finds out he's in hell. Yeah. Um, and it's a hell of his own creation because it's like how he lived yeah. is like treating life like this. This this um, this this cheap exploit um, as opposed to, you know, it's it's 40s moralizing or, you know, whatever. 50s. Yeah. Moralizing. Um, my point is this. Um, he. Uh, uh, there's this tension that I had where I was like Where's the where's The the, the, the bill coming when is the bill coming now, Like this when is him giving in On this fantasy going to come back and bite him <clears throat> And I think That that tension is a good metaphor For um, The way that all of us Many of us live our lives even when you have A happy lovely life Like yeah. I lead you lead um, at times, you go, "What's the trick? What's the catch? Yeah, um, yeah. When is the bill coming that I don't realize that that I'm picking up a debt, right? Um, and you know, sometimes you may realize what that debt is, but you're just choosing to ignore it because, like, you have to live your life, right? It's a human. It's human nature, and um, that sort of carrying that 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 sort of tension, and then eventually being able to push it in the background because you have bigger concerns. You have a community to serve. You." you can't sit there worrying about whether or not this is a trick. There's real life happening in front of you. Um, And I feel like that's a good, it's a good metaphor there that like it ends up not being a trick. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Um, There's no, there's no bill coming. Um, No. The trick is, the trick is that remember uh, us. Yes. The trick is remember us. The trick is that um, you're going to have to carry this burden for this life that you uh, were forced to live. Yeah. Um, I happen to think that maybe, some a photo album
1: yeah send us a, a recording documentary.
0: you know about some a documentary you sequence. did a
1: probe send out a little message send out one of those like uh like uh time capsule things like we sent out in case aliens find us with like a beatles record or, or yes. something yeah
0: so the sun went supernova a thousand years ago far far before um this planet could have joined the federation or whatever yeah um and uh the whole solar system was was uh irradiated and yada yada so um yeah it ends up becoming a nice yeah it ends up becoming a nice climate change sort of uh metaphor that aaron aaron touched on yeah
1: it does feel like again didn't think about this when i first saw it in 1995 but like yeah i mean how many how many people in our generation are having this sort of conversations around like is it ethical to bring children into this world or stuff like that and like it's like this show really kind of, this episode gets into that a little bit and like, it kind of comes to the conclusion that like, you know, ultimately no one knows when anyone's time is and there's always a looming threat of death and no one's going to live forever. And so like, you know, that, that just because we don't know what's going to happen doesn't is not a reason to like, if we feel like we want to bring children to the world or something like that, that we shouldn't. Shouldn't shouldn't do it. And like – I also like one of the great parts about this episode is that it doesn't have like a really explicitly sad moment. You don't see the sun go supernova and everyone disappears in a yellow light. Like, oh my god, all these people are dead. Why would they put that on the tape or the probe that they sent out or stuff like that? You know, it's – everyone kind of confronts him at the end and says, hey, this was our message. Pretty amazing technology if you ask us. But couldn't figure out the sun shield thing. Whatever. Anyways, uh yeah, we're all please remember us stuff like that. Like there is this great I think it's it's very would be very tempting to show the destruction in a way that like was there to like get you at the and I love the way it sen- essentially says, "Hey, remember us. We we were people. We loved. We existed. Goodbye." And like that that's it. That's
0: it. That's it. it it's I, I, I agree. It's, it's very beautiful to me. Um, it is, uh, an episode that also taps into like feelings that I've had recently. And just like, yeah, just questions of how do you, how do you continue living your life? Um, when you have questions about like, what's the catch here? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, let's even talk about like something that's not as big as, as climate change. Like, um, there's some indications that we may, we may have a recession next year. We may not have a recession. Yeah. Like, am I living my life in a way that's ignoring impending doom? Yeah. And it's like, maybe a little bit, but you can't spend your entire life bunker down ignoring life in front of you. You can't spend your entire life cynically like pretending like, uh well if I do this this and this nothing bad will ever happen to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah um, and, and, so small, and how much so are your and... how
1: much of your but... life are you wasting by not doing that stuff because it's 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 limited, right? Like yeah. it that that kind of balancing act of I don't want to I don't want to second guess the decisions I made but also I don't want to make a decision that will waste a future part of my life because I don't have the means to buy food or exist comfortably or, like, have a house. You know, I I don't want to miss out on the vacation with my family because I'm so nervous that I mean, you know, that I should wait to do that and then I miss out on that opportunity combined with, like, well, I don't want to later on be going, shouldn't have taken that fucking vacation because now our cars are getting repossessed. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. and that's the thing is you just don't know. You kind of have to make these decisions. And Picard goes through that with his with his, you know, kids as well where he's, like... You know, he has a son who he's like, just stick with something you like. And he's like, well, I haven't figured out what I like. And now that I have, after trying a bunch of different stuff, I want to do it. And, you know, P- Picard is initially like, feels like it's too late for that. You should have already picked something. You have limited time. And his son is nonplussed. Like, he's like, no, now I, I enjoyed the time I spent with this stuff. And now I realize I want to devote my life to music.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a pretty beautiful episode. I'm uh, I'm really happy that we got to watch this set and we started with something very silly and ended with something very yeah. heartfelt. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the the flow of that. The flute thing at the end is great, too. I love that they open up the
1: probe and say everything kind of destroyed it. The only thing that's inside is this flute that he – his wife, when he first showed up there and thought it was all a big, like, alien trick. It was like, don't you remember? You play the flute, and he couldn't play the flute. But over fifty years, he learned it, and now the his it, they're like parting gift to him for, like you noted, something that may be very ethically dubious on a lot yeah. of different levels. Um, they've given him the flute, like the one yeah. physical thing from the planet, yeah.
0: And then Picard knows how to play the flute now. Yeah, great. I mean, he does occasionally 20, play twenty it. minutes. Yeah,
1: I mean if you. Yeah, there's a lot of other things. What's funny is that this has a really like uh, – this has a flip side episode in a really good DS9 episode called Hard Time that it's structured a little, little differently where it kind of wakes up – the the episode starts with Chief O'Brien waking up from his experience but essentially that there was an alien species that felt that they wronged him and they don't put people in prison anymore – Because it actually wastes their real life. So instead they implant in like a second 30 years of solitary confinement into someone's head like they lived it all. And so it's like an episode of him literally like angry and frustrated and trying to like reassimilate into society. And from his wife and his kids and this crew member's perspective, he was, you know, gone for 30 minutes. And from his perspective – he lived 30 years in solitary confinement and went a little crazy. And so it kind of flashes back to some of his experience in the, that in these memories that have been implanted in him combined with like him trying to readjust to life. So
0: it's a really great concept, right? Yeah. Um, it's something that it's actually something that they've talked about. Um, They've, they've talked about as like a real life concept here is yeah. like people, people trying to figure out like, how do you, how do you handle prison? Yeah. Like, because any amount of time taken out of society has an inherent impact on yep. your ability to continue being a person. But like, what if we could get a prison sentence done in a day? Yeah. Um, I think the absolute
1: Hard Time I, would argue that is extremely fucked up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 would, I, would, uh, I would say that whatever way that they would want to implement that. Uh, would just be abusive on a scale that uh, would actually be worse than a normal prison sentence. Uh, Yeah, so uh,
1: that's it with part one of Aaron's TNG favorites. Peter, what was your... uh, What are your, like... You don't have to rank them or anything like that because that would be silly, but, like, what are your unmistakable hits from this set?
0: Oh, oh. um, I think the one that overall, top to bottom, I was, like, the most cued into was the inner light.
1: Well, that makes sense. It is considered the best. Uh, But some other ones... What? Oh, it's fine. Uh, Really quickly, so next week, if you're following along at home, we're doing uh, some season six and season seven episodes. We're doing relics. We're doing tapestry. We're doing frame of mind. We're doing chain of command parts one and two. Parallels and... Ending with Lower Decks before we get to the finale. Some very, uh, Peter, I'm like as much as excited to talk about these. I think there's a few in here that I think you're going to fucking love. And I'm so excited to talk about them with you next week on Star Trek.